Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Week What? A comics podcast from the Savage Critics website. After a short hiatus, Graham McMillan and I are back with episode 75, two hours and 20 plus minutes of comics of controversy inspired chatter. In our first half, we look at battles between creators over the properties, with examples like Robert Cookman, Tony Moore in The Walking Dead, Gary Friedrich in Ghostwriter, L.J. Smith in Vampire Diaries, John Rosen, Scott McDaniel in Static, and, believe it or not, James Doohan and William Shatner on Star Trek. We also covered Brian Bendis' ideas for the new 52, sales expectations for both Marvel and DC, Marvel's possible reboot and their strategies for Avengers vs. X-Men, the myth of the Marvel architects and books with buzz, the latest Superman villain, Joss Whedon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, what we miss about the post-crisis DCU, and a vow to catch up with all outstanding listener questions next time. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hello, sir. My Hi. goodness, I didn't even hear the phone start to ring you, so that that had all the uh, immediacy of a donkey punch, I have to say. Um, That's what I'm always aiming for. <laughs> and I may have to adjust the volume. I don't know because it's you're so you're so in your face, or really my face. It's in your ears, Jeff. I'm in your ears. <laughs> well, that, they're connected to my face. In fact, they're probably the most prominent part of my face. Um, <laughs> Wait, well, already going weird this early. I, I know. Oh, <laughs> both of us are cutting out. This is not a good sign. Yeah, it's not a good sign. It's it, hopefully it's a momentary thing. Yeah, there was a little bit of, w- 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 but but it might just be. I'm hoping that it's just because, uh, literally, my computer's still all but booting up. Um, and I think Firefox may have crashed on me. So. Hooray! Well, you wouldn't have got the email where I was like, are we actually podcasting today or have I misremembered? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was 2.30 and I was like, Jeff's not even online. What? Am I complete? Did I get this wrong? Well, the thing that's terrible is I, um, thanks to the miracle of Project X, I sent you a, I sent you a text message saying that I was running late. And that I wouldn't be able to podcast oh, until So you did. And for some reason, my phone didn't tell me. My phone was just right beside me. <laughs> for once, I've actually had my phone right beside me. And you have. You sent me two texts. I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, I, I it didn't want to tell me until I decided to go and look for it. Yeah. Thanks, that. phone. <laughs> that is the phone being helpful, isn't it? That, um, well, you know, it could be worse. I could have one of those Siri phones, which apparently don't understand Scottish accents. That is true. That is true. And I think this may be the time that I should come clean about Project X uh, to the listeners, because everyone thinks that it's something awesome. I don't know if you saw, but... <laughs> no, but I, I did see the spectacular number of comments we had in that last uh, podcast, which I, for some reason, had tuned out and hadn't checked in since there was like maybe 20-odd comments, and now it's over 100. Yeah, isn't that astonishing? I real I mean it shouldn't be that astonishing because I it, I feel vindicated because it really felt to me like everyone listening is basically as uh, in as much turmoil as we are about Watchmen. No, but uh, but also I th- I think it was really good because everyone listening is there's there's not you know just I am picking a sign that I'm sticking to it no matter what. I feel like everyone was actually having a discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Which just seems so. Um, yeah, I mean, and only only occasionally did it turn into a very rough and tumble <laughs> version of a discussion. For the most part, like by internet. Oh, by internet standards, it's amazing. It's a love fest. Yeah, 
Yeah, it really is a love fest, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, as uh, we said, listeners, you you're great commenters, and I I generally hate commenters like incredibly, <laughs> but the the savage critic commenters are spectacular. They really are. They really are. I am I am a huge fan. So it was really great seeing that many comments especially in a thread where I think maybe said something once and of course as far as I know you didn't participate so no, I, the only was... comment I've made recently was pointing out that the woman in the Portlandia video is the woman who told you that she couldn't have any more waffles I know I a really fact, undersold fact that, I, that a fact that I feel everyone should know because I feel yeah. like we've talked about you being getting cut off of the waffle window a lot it's <laughs> like <laughs> Do you see the woman serving? That's actually the woman who told Jeff he wasn't allowed any more waffles. I, I feel there's, there's an additional, it's not just, it's the waffle window. That's her as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That is the woman. And I, there is just something that is so delightful about that. She's also the woman who knew you by name and comped you a waffle, isn't she? No, I want to say that was someone else. I could really, I, could I thought that was the exact same person. Cause I was like, the reason I'm saying know, I don't think it's her is that, I've obviously been back to Waffle Window since then because that was yes. like a year ago, uh, and she shows no recognition of me whatsoever. So, <laughs> I I'm saying it's probably not her. Well, I I've told you my theory about her, right? Um, but I'm glad you're going to do so right now. <laughs> no, wait, I did then, or I, I, or I have not. Oh, okay. My theory is is that she's actually the woman who's in charge of. Uh, at least part of the time, the Twitter feed for um, for the Waffle Window that she she does the social media and stuff like that, which is why she knew who you were and more or less knew to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> because that actually, I've said this before, but if you check the Waffle Window's Twitter feed, it's pretty much talking to us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you've said, which I, I, I somehow always miss it. I don't think it updates very early, however. No, it, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's been it a tweet since they were talking to us last summer. Exactly. Exactly. So so I think she is in charge. And I also think that because, of course, it's kind of that thing of obviously they must have talked to someone to get permission to, to be at the Waffle Window. Um I, I really wish I could get a a, a, a um, screen capture of that moment where Carrie Brownstein is jamming like those little chocolate waffle samples into her mouth because that is that was exactly like I've had that moment you know what I mean <laughs> like that moment where you're like oh my god the, the, seriously those those um, dark chocolate covered waffles that they have uh, for snacks are uh, unbelievable. I wish I could get up there and get some. Really, really f- amazing. Yeah. Soon you'll be coming. Are you not coming up soon? I, I That is the plan, but we're not sure how the schedule is, is thrashing out because I think it looks like we're going to miss March, which we'd made noises about, and if we do it, it's going to have to be in April. So. Oh, then you're totally running into the visit of Kate's mother again. You two, you again? And Kate, I, I told you this already. She's coming up the beginning of April. I thought she was coming up like. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, How- this is the conversation Jeff and I normally have at the end of the podcast after we stopped recording, and now we're having it. This starts. 
it's 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 pretty traumatizing. Well, I tell you what, let let's uh, let's talk about that later, so we can talk about my arch nemesis, Kate's mom, uh, uh, off air, and, and um, let let's let's uh, let's begin talking about the comic books while, in theory, my web browser boots up. Uh, I have Would to say you... one, one of yes. the, my favorite comments of the hundred plus comments in the Watchmen podcast uh, thread is Appy saying. Do you remember when we just had the Watchmen court, uh, legal situation? Think about it. So that seemed so wonderful. It's true. Like since then, we've had uh, the. Oh God, I've forgotten his name. Friedrich. Friedrich. Gary Friedrich. Some of going to call him Dick Friedrich, and I was like, "Who's Dick?" <laughs> I knew that was wrong. Um, there's Gary Friedrich, and um, then there's the Robert, Robert Kirkman and Tommy Ta- Tony Moore, right? Yeah. Exactly, and, and a few others. You know. Well, it's bosses, I think that's it. This since we talked about Watchmen, right? Have there been more? Uh, Rich did this great job of reporting the the sort of semi sissy slap fight that broke out between Rick Remender and Corey Walker. Yes, yes. And I thought that was like, I mean, to me, that really summed it up. And and the thing that's sad is a lot of people are like, oh, this is just so sad. I'm, I actually think that it's a really good thing for the industry. Um, I think we actually need a lot more of it. Um, I, I think you're right, but I don't think it stops it being sad. Mm. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I find there's to be something genuinely sad about Tony Moore so, suing Robert Kirkman in that they have been friends since childhood. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's one thing to fall out and there's another to fall out to the point where you're suing each other. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, uh, uh, wow. Yeah. Firefox is just, it's, I don't know what it's trying to do, but it is not going to do it this time around. Um, yeah, I, 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 I guess it is sad. I guess it is sad. I, I suppose it sort of helps that I have this deep abiding suspicion that I would, I wouldn't like either of those two guys very much at all, which doesn't, which doesn't mean that I wish them poorly or anything like that, but, um, <laughs> but it also means you don't feel too sad when they go to court. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is is that I feel like I see both sides, you know? I really think that Tony Moore it sounds, you know, it looking at that contract, that was the other thing that was amazing was is that, you know, somebody got all 31 pages of um of Tony Moore's complaint including the contract that they had signed as exhibit A. And I think that um I think I think Moore, on the one hand, is completely in the right in terms of he. When you sign one of those things, the idea that you, the other person, you know, the other person's like, "Oh, sure, I will provide an accounting to you." That always is the area in Hollywood where they fuck people over, and I think that I think that Moore's absolutely right. The sooner, the better to actually file, you know, because he because he wasn't having they weren't he wasn't getting any access to it you know he totally had you know he well, kept being told you know well, oh that, it's coming that, oh it's coming oh, it's that's coming. if what he's saying is true because Robert Kirkman is saying entirely the opposite he's saying not only has he been getting access to that but he's been getting the money uh yeah I think that he's been getting the money he has not been getting the access um but because that's I, what I'm saying like you you essentially have to believe one or the other of them right now because the two of them are saying things that directly contradict each other mm. yeah that is true that is true well weirdly enough I sort of tend to believe uh, 
I, I guess I'm currently on Team Tony Moore then. Uh, although I definitely think that if Tony Moore had stayed with The Walking Dead, it never would have. It would have been. It would have not been canceled, but it would have trailed off by episode issue twenty four, and it it never would have gotten as far as it did. So, so I'm, I'm I find the whole thing really interesting and also also sad in a, another way because I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think if Moore had stayed with it, it wouldn't have become what it became. Exactly, exactly. And that really brings to mind to me the sadness that I don't think Charlie Adler just getting. I mean, does anyone know what ownership he has over the Walking Dead at this point? I don't. I mean, I have to assume that he's being taken well, taken good care of. And to me, that part of me is like, well, that's kind of important because a between a the fact that we haven't heard anything, and b the fact that that guy has continued to hit every deadline for years and which admittedly he does but he's done under some very tight situations i'm i'm assuming that he's being kept happy you know um but but i have to admit i don't i don't know that for sure um i can't see any reason why he wouldn't you know yeah that that's the that's the sort of unknowable for me right now Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where's Charlie Adler to know of this? Right. Um, I'm not sure. Is it possible to disbelieve both Robert Kirkman and Tony Moore? Well, I guess that's the thing, is I both be- believe both of them and disbelieve both of them sort of at the same time. Yeah, that that's pretty much where I am in terms of this lawsuit, because mm-hmm. be- because if if Kirkman's telling the truth... Mm-hmm. Then that I guess what it is is if both of them are telling the truth, both of them are in real trouble when this goes to court. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Right, right, yeah. So therefore, I sort of assume, <laughs> right, that at least one of them is lying. Well, you know what I mean, it, yes, exactly. I I, th- I think I think it the quote at least one of them is lying means to me, and I could be completely mistaken about this, but. That means that they're just going to settle it. It's going to be settled before, like, relatively well before any sort of trial yeah, happens. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think this. I don't think this would be good for either of them to go to mm-hmm. publicly, you know, open court where people can find out everything. Exactly. And so I, I think it's going to come to a settlement. And I, I would not be surprised if the settlement is entirely in Moore's favor. Interesting, interesting. Just because um, I think Kirkman has more to lose from everything coming out public. We will see. We will see. I, I can see it. I think Moore's going to get more than what he is getting. On the other hand, I also would not surprise me if four or five years down the line, it's going to be the same situation uh, where he is. He's getting some money, but he is going to request to see the books, and they will tell him that uh, – that they're really busy, but they'll do their best to get it to them in six months and then string it out for another bunch of years until they go to court. Because I don't even think that that... I mean, this is this is very much based on... And it's time for Jeff's sad nerd memoirs. Chapter 6. My <laughs> convention with James Dillon. <laughs> I love Jeff's sad nerd memoirs. <laughs> um, worked for this... Sh- for this con, this this show that this um, this local entrepreneur uh, put on, he he had done. This was back in the mid '90s. Um, I I ended up working security for these series of very small one day comic book conventions, and the guy 
um, decided that it was time to make his move and do a huge weekend con and have guests and various. So he got Jimmy Doohan, who apparently, have I told you this story before? You have not. So Jimmy Doohan is like, well, I'm, God bless him. Jimmy Doohan was like one of the least expensive Star Trek cast members that you could get for a convention and I could be totally misremembering this but as I recall his 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 pay was $5000 a day and he had you had to have a thermos filled with doers uh white label <laughs> for him to be able to drink throughout the con on each day you had to like refill the thermos full of doers so so we had him at this con and because I had, you know, I went from being like the dude who was working the one day con to the guy who was like two day con, um, which meant that I had to sit next to, had to, I ended up sitting next to Jimmy doing at a couple of the, you know, after con dinners where everyone goes out and of course doing, you know, proceeds to regale everyone with his stories. Most of the stories were entirely about how much he hates William Shatner, which is great. Let me tell you, like, that is, like, (laughs) the sad nerd memoir admission. If you ever get a chance to sit next to someone who has reason to bitch about William Shatner, like, do so. Because it is an entirely delightful, like, 90 minutes. Like, the person, it they don't even have to stop to let the bile, you know, come out of the gland. It's just like this constant milking process that James Doohan had. Anyway, one of the things that was really interesting is he saw no money from the plates with his likeness on it, the action figures, all of those things, like everything that was putting out that Paramount was cranking out with his face on it and of course Shatner's face and Nimoy's face and blah 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 everyone on it those they were supposed to get paid for but they weren't getting paid they were not getting paid because the thing is is that nobody except for Nimoy or Shatner could actually afford to audit to to basically pay the people to audit um, Paramount's books god that's depressing Isn't that amazing? So all of that stuff, he was like, yeah, we don't see any of it. You know, we're entitled to it, but we can't, we can't, we can't do it until we prove it. And we can't prove it until we look at the books. And we can't look at the books until we have people that we can pay to actually, at that level, to look at those books. And so the only people who could afford it were Nimoy and Shatner, both of whom, uh, doing alleged continued to be kept given various deals and sweetheart deals and development deals such that they never had the vested interest in actually picking up you know what would be for them a relatively piddly amount of money and of course for most of the other cast members was entirely huge amounts of money um thus necessitating people like James doing paying, you know, getting paid $5,000 a day and drinking tremendous amounts of, of doers <laughs> every day. Tremendous amounts. It was amazing. So, um, so that's my sad nerd memoir. And one of the things that I learned about it took from that, um, apart from the fact that Jimmy doing, if I'm sitting, if he's sitting to my right and I'm kind of looking at him out of the corner of my bad peripheral vision, kind of looks like my dad. Like the only other fact that I pulled was that, that Paramount and, and, and I assume by extension, all Hollywood studios really actively screw people when it comes to those 
even though they're supposed to pay people for their likenesses because mm-hmm. no one ever gets a chance to to get a crack at those books so for me consequently that really lent Tony Moore's side of the story a lot of verisimilitude to mm-hmm. me um, perhaps perhaps mistakenly but um you know you get promised all these things and then you have to knock down the door to actually get it and then they do everything to make it as expensive as possible for you to get that door down until you just give up so <laughs> Comics, everybody. <laughs> well, yes, but I mean, I think the sadder point is is that comics, but by extension, like media, mass media is like hugely. Did you see the story about the woman who wrote the Vampire Diaries? Or no, it was kind of making the the go round on on Twitter. No, is this going to be really depressing? No more depressing than everything else that we're talking about. But the <laughs> oh, vampire, good. The, yeah, exactly. You're like, whew, what a relief. Uh, the woman who wrote the Vampire Diaries, which is a hugely successful series of young adult novels. In fact, when I started researching young adult novels with the idea that my next book would be somewhat YA-ish, since it seemed to be such a big popular trend, everyone kept pointing me toward the Vampire Academy books. Like, this is like how you do YA urban fantasy uh, right. And I started in on the books, and they're okay. Hugely popular spin-off books and everything. Um, the there's woman, a TV show. Uh, I think that's right for yeah. for the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, that, there, there's oh, a, wait. There's a TV show with Vampire Diaries uh, on CW. Actually, let me make sure that I'm not talking about the wrong thing because I think you're right. Vampire Diaries. Vampire Diaries be... are written by L. J. Smith, apparently. Yes, L. J. Smith. L. J. Smith is um. She, she had the Vampire Diaries, the Night World, and the Secret blah, blah, blah. Anyway, what happened was when she wrote the first Vampire Di- Diaries trilogy, she didn't realize she was signing a work-for-hire contract. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. She, she didn't realize? She, she didn't realize because she... she didn't she didn't she didn't know what the terms meant. I don't know if she didn't have representation or something like that, but she is like uh let's see, where is it? D D D D D D D D D D because a lot of people needless to say are are pretty pissed. She actually had been working on the Vampire Diary series for years since the nineteen nineties, and now she has been fired from her own series because it's work for hire. They own it, she doesn't, and they canned her from it. So even though she had been working on them, um but yeah, she got fired from from writing her own books. A book packager sells books already made with covers and all the publishers like HarperCollins my publisher for the Vampire Diaries and Secret Circle. Both of these series were written for hire, which means the book packager owns the book the author produces. And although I didn't understand what for hire meant back in 1990 when I agreed to write the books for them, I found out eventually to my horror and dismay. Even though I've written the entire series, I don't own anything. And from now on, the books are going to be written by an anonymous ghostwriter. It will say created by L.J. Smith on the cover, but I'm not allowed even to change a word in the books. So last fall when I gave them the book Phantom, they didn't bother to give me edits. Instead, I was given a letter addressed to the ghostwriter by name telling her to completely rewrite my book. They wouldn't listen when I pleaded and promised to do the book as they required. They simply took the series and gave it to the ghostwriter. 
Um, so yeah. Oh, that's that's somehow sadder in that it's happening more recently. Yeah, you know that what I it's mean? happening more re- right. Exactly. Exactly. There's something sort of like no, lots of other people have made this mistake, so that you didn't have to. Right. Right. Exactly. So that you didn't have to. But the the fact of the matter is, is of course. I mean, people still are. It's the thing that's depressing to me about the comics is is the idea that two dudes like Kirkman and Tony Moore or really any two people that create a book together, you want to try... I, I would think that everyone wants to do right by the other person, and yet that so doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and then on top of it, like, even if you just get through the shoals of having a flaky artist or having a... Um, overly arrogant writer then you move right into this realm where the publishers are talking you know are like oh sure here sign our contract don't mm-hmm. ignore those those three little words that end in work and end in for hire you know um so what is the solution is the solution just get a really good contract and make sure everyone agrees and you know reads it and sits and thinks about it for a very long time before signing well, I don't know. I mean, I mean that's right. I, it seems to be right. It seems to be. Yeah. Pay attention to what you're signing. Right. Well, something I found really depressingly telling about all the discussion that followed was people having to say things like, when you're writing a contract, write it for the worst case scenario, not the best. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, well yes. <laughs> Well, you, but, you mean yeah, you weren't exactly. doing that ahead of time? You didn't, like... Well, uh, yeah, I but... I, I, well, okay, here's a classic example that makes a lot of sense to me that came out in some of the comments, is um, Moore believes that Kirkman um, fraudulently convinced him to sign over all the rights that Hollywood would not make the deal with, for Walking Dead happen unless there was a sole copyright holder. And... And he felt that this was fraudulent. My understanding, based on reading some people's comments that generally make sense with my understanding, is is that Hollywood does not like to deal with more than one copyright holder. That they want you to go forward like you're supposed to be the only person that owns that copyright because they don't want a situation where they've got a Walking Dead TV show and then Tony Moore, who has his own rights as a co-creator, decides to create his own Walking Dead TV show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I think that when they cut the original deal for themselves, I'm sure that it was quite fair and equitable. Not realizing that they had made such a fair and equitable contract for themselves that they would never see any of the huge development money later on down the line. You know. Um, so it seems to me like even if you create a contract with, like, you somehow have to create it with the best of intentions but fearing a worst-case scenario at the same time, you know, which would mean, I don't know, assigning of rights or sole legal executor within certain frameworks or terms. And again, when you're like two guys, separate and apart from being childhood friends, like if you're like trying to actually produce a, a comic book that you're not even sure is going to get picked up and carried. I mean, admittedly, they had a certain amount of faith that that Walking Dead would become a comic since they had done all this other Battle Pope and this other stuff and they had ins at Image at that point but 
they didn't necessarily know. Like, it can be really hard. It would be really hard. Like, if I wanted to turn around and I had a comic book developed and I wanted to find an artist, it is inconceivable to me that I would have to pay the money now at this stage of things to draw up a really good contract so that we could begin that process of rolling forward. But it, it certainly seems to me like one should... You know what I mean? Like, and by the same token, how hard can it be? Like, you're trying to find some guy on Deviant Art to draw your, you know, 57, you know, Doctor Who pastiche epic, you know, and you're like, oh, and by the way, here's like an eight page contract that I need you to sign before I can give you any of the scripts, you know? Like, I, 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 it's just hard enough for guys to meet at a con and agree that they're going to write a, you know, the world's most successful and thrilling Aquaman fanfic together, much less. (laughs) To be fair, it's it's very hard to come up with successful Aquaman fanfic. Jeff Johns may be the only person who's managed to do it. And he He really has. (laughs) Yeah, he really did. Yeah, exactly. And even then... On you go. On you go with the Aquaman joke. No, no, no. no, no. I was going to say, I, I think... I think it's hard, but I think you have to do it. I think you have to have some level of contract for this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I totally, I believe me, I really absolutely agree. Um, It was kind of interesting. I think Jeff Parker had a really interesting uh, thing about a post on Parker's space about talking about artists, you know, sort of like how do you put this work together dealing with someone else and the things the considerations that you have to keep in mind and I thought that it was both interesting and yet also um, so vague as to not necessarily be helpful <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like, I mean, I mean he gave lots of good advice because because every situation is so flexible that's, but he what didn't I literally say. I mean, say, that's the problem mm-hmm. because every situation is different so you can't be like here are the five steps you need to take Right, right. Because there when are author- no five steps you need to take. There are, you know, 55 steps that you right. may or may not be taking five of them. Exactly, <laughs> depending on which of the 11 situations you're, you're, you're moving into. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I have to say that it's... Like I said, so I almost think that it would be a good thing because I, I honestly feel that everything that happens with comics uh, these days can be so problematic because it's happening behind this veil of secrecy and so you just do not know shit. You don't know if you're being screwed until you find out later that everyone else had a remarkably better deal than you <laughs> or a remarkably worse deal, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. So... Um, Talking about that, hey, Friedrich, Gary, writer, ghost. <laughs> yeah, this is tough. This is tough for me because, you know, I, um, I, 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 as a fan of Ghost Rider, had spent a certain amount of time following the creation therein. Yeah. And uh, on the one hand, I feel pretty comfortable saying that I feel that Ghost Rider is about as close to the perfect storm of a company created editorial directed character as you can come up with you know like I honestly believe like Roy Thomas was like here's the name you know Friedrich he went to Friedrich to see who spitball the story Mike Plug did the designs which I mean 
of anything. Like, sadly, I think Ghost Rider is a character that lives and dies by its design. Yes, you know? Ghost Rider is really all about the visual. Yeah, exactly. It's so much. The, the, the story, when people talk about the story, they're like, really? Like, oh, oh, you know, it's all but been made fun of when other people take on the character. But, you know, fair enough. I actually, I, I love and appreciate, having read that stuff recently, I was like, huh, Gary Friedrich's stuff is, it, it is sort of a baseline. He was there in the mix, but he is not the he is at best a creator instead of the creator mm-hmm. which in no way means that a he should not be allowed to have a creation credit he should certainly should not be in a situation where he's got to be you know um sort of more or less forced into an agreement where he has to pay $17,000 back you know even though i think that there were times where he was being sort of um Footloose and fancy free with his own concepts, with the concept of creator, whether it was running around at conventions, you know, selling prints that are the Mike Plug art as opposed to like selling, say, his scripts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and God bless, you know, I remember reading an art, I'm, I'm fascinated with Gary Friedrich because he's one of those characters that came so close to actually living the life of one of his superheroes and especially particularly Ghost Rider in that uh, if I'm remembering correctly from one of his Tomorrow interviews he most he wrote most of that stuff while being uh, an, a, a, a huge heavy alcoholic that all but you know was a hobo wandering about the country and you know mailing in these scripts and things you know, uh, because he was avoiding the, the he had a marriage. I believe his his only offspring was heavily de- developmentally disabled. Um, and he talked. It it's incredibly touching. It, it really is when he talks about hitting bottom uh, as an alcoholic. It has ev- nothing to do with Ghost Rider and everything to do with having to deal with own up to the fact that he had a developmentally challenged child who loved him unconditionally even while he was running out and getting you know pig stinking drunk um and trying to drink himself to death you know Mm -hmm. so i mean an absolutely fascinating guy uh but what a can of worms you know i mean in terms of and the other thing that sucks is, I have to say, has Steve Niles posted any update about how much money he's raised for him? Not that I've seen, but I also I have not really checked for it. So it's very I'll... possible that he has, and I just haven't seen it. Yeah, he he may have done it recently, uh, but he had not done it as of yesterday. And I was like, dude, I gave money to this like a week ago. Like, you know, like when you do those things and somebody posts within like two days and is like, hey, congratulations, we raised blah, 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 blah. I have not I have not seen an update from him. I've seen lots of lots of like, hey, you know, like even if you go to the page, he's like, as you hear, he's been countersued. Uh, the response has been overwhelming and it's just like if you can donate please and I don't I have yet to see anything that actually says how much money is, has been raised which is he's not going to tell you but really soon he's going to be like I've got to tell you I'm financing a 30 days at night movie myself not saying I, I just came into money but I, 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 I'm joking please do not sue me Steve Diles 
Yes, exactly. Don't sue Graham. Don't sue me, even though I have to say, Steve Niles, I do not trust you farther than I can throw you. And yet I donated money and am still half waiting to see it, to see 30 Days of Night, the gold slash platinum edition come out on hardcover shortly. So, yeah, I'd kind of like to see that addressed in a way. Like, I'm like, it sounds weird. Like, the internet has all this awesome stuff, but I feel like one of the awesome things that it requires is if you turn around and and and, and uh, raise this money is that you can let people know, like, pretty much in, like, two days, like, where it stands. And the fact that even on Twitter, he's kind of like, hey, keep contributing money, you know, up, I, something like, I've got lots of people to email... So I apologize for being behind and I'm like dude don't email just update update something uh, oh wait is he no yeah no you still go to his front page and it's still like a post from uh, someday like, yeah last uh, last update I'm seeing is the 10th yeah so the email is uh, <sighs> is through the roof mm-hmm. uh, please donate See, there is a donate button. I wonder if the donate button has what I'm. It just like goes. This. It goes straight to PayPal. It's but just, it, it's there's just there's no sort of like we have raised. No, it doesn't. That's uh, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. So, and I, I think I'm going to do sadly because I do want to see the Ghost Rider two movie. I will probably go and pay for another movie and sneak into it. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it's dumb, I know, but I'm probably <laughs> going to do that. Oh, Jeff. What, what other know. movies are playing? That's what we have to check into, see what other movie you should buy a ticket for. Uh, Well, let's see, it doesn't open until tomorrow, right? So we're not really so. going to know offhand. But I mean, you know, whatever boring shit, I don't know. It would be great if I somehow ended up like contributing to something that was, you know, that I found personally vile and reprehensible by mistake, you know, like, I, you know, I don't know. Exploitation, very hard to avoid these days is the lesson that I think we're learning in 2012. It's like, I think it's good that we're trying to work on it, but oh my God, could it be more difficult? This, this um, is, but this is the year where this shit just seems to be on everyone's mind oh yeah do you know what I think like between Mm -hmm. the Watchmen stuff and all of this I feel like this is the year when comics contractual with the laundry comes out for its you know regular airing whether anything actually changes is entirely open to question and I cynically I'm thinking it probably won't uh, right. Will it? Won't it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, this the thing that boggles my mind, and I think I've mentioned it before, is the idea that the before Watchmen is like, you see Alan Moore getting screwed, and and they did they did pretty well by Jack Kirby. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I really thought that they did, they they behaved, they, they went out of their way to treat Kirby with a certain uh, amount of respect and incentive and they really went out of their way for him and I'm like that's great and then you turn around and it's you just see them doing all the rest did you not think I've always thought that DC was really nice to Kirby in part because it embarrassed Marvel sure absolutely well I think it was a two stage process I think on the one hand it embarrassed Marvel 
And I think on the other hand, it was a great way to show that they were different at a stage. I mean, that was at a stage where, um, you know, you had dudes, you had guys like Moore and Miller um, standing up and being very vociferous in their defense of Jack Kirby. It seemed like a great way to make sure that you could get guys like Miller and Moore feel like they, you know, were working with somebody who was going who who was treating them well so i could pay a ticket to go see this means war and then sneak into ghost rider which i think i would be willing to do you know i don't know we'll see i don't i don't want to give money to reese witherspoon either but see the thing is, is i don't want to i don't really? want to give why, money why to not? why do you not want to give money to reese witherspoon what has she done she has uh, I don't like the size of her head really I think her head is it's not an ethical thing it's really more of a taste thing I guess but I do like Tom Hardy do you know I want to give money to Tom Hardy and Chris Pine I kind of do see there you go yeah without actually wanting to without actually having to sit through the movie that could probably be the best all the way around (laughs) Uh, here's your charity donation I'm good with the Bush Raider (laughs) That should be our shirt right there. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know. There's got to be a bad faith way of acting in good faith. I, I, um, I think that's called answering the movies. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's the thing that's really creepy is, is the more comics has gotten screwed up, the more I'm kind of like, uh, piracy. Meh. Like, I'm, I'm so, like, on the border of, like, pirating Marvel. How bad would I really feel about it at this point? You know, I, I, um, and I would come back to again. Are you not screwing the creators who are there now? Uh, that that that's I, ultimately where are those creators not being screwed anyway? You know, sure, but are you not then screwing them more? Like I, I feel there at some point, if you do that, if that's your defense, sure. No, you, I know you're yeah, exactly saying, saying, you know. I, I not only am I going to screw you more, but I have no problem with you being screwed because you're currently working for these people. And I think right. that's unrealistic. That's not cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, no, no. It's not. It's well. Let's put it this way. I would be okay with saying that because I feel like those guys have got to stick up for themselves. But I don't think that it's great to say that and be like, "So I'm going to be over here reading my illicit copy of Daredevil." Woohoo! You know. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't quite know how to. I'm currently at the stage of thinking that that I may just give up Marvel, but I don't know. I, on the other hand, you know, I went to the comic book store yesterday, and it helped that with. Again, as I've said several times, I'm like, huh. Well, Punisher's over. Secret Avengers. I realize I just don't like. Um, I'm jumping off Wolverine. So that sort of leaves like Journey into Mystery and Daredevil, I think. And I'm kind of like, well, I could probably give those two up and not read them. But, you know, part of me is like, well, but how do I handle DC? How do I handle, you know, I'm obviously... Exactly. Is, is DC worse than Marvel? DC, DC is technically better than Marvel. DC is, uh, as long as your name is an Alan Moore... Um, and admittedly, DC is, treats their freelancers like a certain degree of crap. But as far as I can tell, they're they they're not Charles Vessing them afterwards to coin but, a new verb. But you've got to like, where's the line? Do you know what I mean? I think I just drew it. You're not Charles Vessing them. Yes, 
Yeah, it's like if DC is starts Charles Vessing their their employees, then okay. But currently, okay, but as it is, bear in mind that Tom Brevoort has said publicly that that was an error and has been fixed. First of all, do you believe Tom Brevoort? <laughs> right. That was. I don't even want to get into that stage. Like, uh huh. Yeah. I. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that Vess is alone. I think Vess was the person who like complained, and then and then Tom Brevoort was like, oh, that was a mistake. But I think there's Nothing lots else of people is happening like that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. We thought he was dead. <laughs> I, I honestly, like, even if it is a mistake, I would not be surprised if they were like, Charles S is dead, right? And that's why, like, they did nothing. <laughs> that would be great. This book's 30 years old. He's probably guy. Dead. He's, he's got to be. He's kicked off. Like, look at that drawing line. That's clearly the finest tablet. He's like Mike Kaluta. He can't be alive anymore, clearly. Um <laughs> Who Kaluta, of course, did something. You're trying to tell me about Mike Kaluta that I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is the world's saddest podcast in which Graham finds out that Mike Kaluta's dead. Is dead. No, because I think he did some sketch variant cover. Not a sketch. Didn't he do some variant cover for Avengers or something that just looked gorgeous? Did he? I thought he did some recent work for Marvel where it was like, oh my God, that looks amazing. I mean, I I know he's doing the covers for Memorial and he's, he's just finished the Starstruck reissue for IDW but I didn't know he'd done anything for, for I swear I saw some picture of yeah where it's Michael Kaluta Marvel cover let me see if anything pops up on the old Googleplex on this uh, a Fantastic Four 605 variant cover is that right? Really? Yeah let me see if I can see it that's what popped up under Marvel.com images Featuring the Avengers, is that right? Um, yeah, it's a oh, that's lovely. Cover. Oh, see, you've got a much faster connection here. Yeah, see, look how beautiful that is. Yeah, that is really you know? really nice. Also, it's the- oh, holy shit, Michael is doing work for. Uh, this reminds me that um, seeing Neil Adams' statement about the Gary Friedrich thing just made mm-hmm. me kind of sad. Did you see it? Okay. I I did. You and the readers, uh, listeners have to hold on just one second because my wife is trying to kill me. One moment. Hold on. Okay. Don't die. She did that clever trick where she was really quick. Boil me like lobster. I told you. I told you it'd be quick. And I apologize if I cut you off for whatever devious thing you were saying to the listeners without me. So, no, I wasn't um, saying anything. I, I was I just try and listen and see if I could hear Edie in a bad mood, like last podcast. Oh yeah, like last podcast, which I left in. Did I tell you that I? Left <laughs> yes, that you in? did. I know that. <laughs> can't, can't listen to it. She's like, he didn't cut that out at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Edie's been kind of busy, so she may not find out about it for another couple of weeks. Oh, that'll be fun for you. I, I, you know, I think she'll be okay with it. Frankly, I'm, I'm, I, I'm always. Verisimilitude and reportage—that's what it is. Excuse me. It's the verisimilitude of your reportage. <laughs> Thank you. For some reason, all I heard was frotage, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, remember that time that you're just rubbing yourself up against the like. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. I'm like, nobody was supposed to know about that. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. So what were you saying? You were you were sad by Neil Adams? Oh, yeah. This is your all sad podcast, by the way. No, it is. So it's gonna be the Neil Adams yeah. thing really made me sad because he's like, this is really sad. But hey, you know, Marvel's got their own side too. And maybe there's a way to start this out without demonizing everyone. And I was just right. thought, this is Neil Adams. Like, this is the guy who back way back when was defending Kirby, was defending Siegel and Schuster, and didn't care about being saying that people were wrong. Right. And now for this, he's like, well, you know, I'm sure Marvel's, you know, they're, they've got their own sides. Everyone, you know, everyone's a winner. Well, it was let's just put it this way. Although I could be wrong, I feel that he he got that money from for Siegel and Schuster back with a very comp what what you would call a I sense a bridge building you know I mean he was never able to get you know the the union stuff off the ground which I think is a huge shame but he did work very hard at getting Siegel and Schuster money by working with DC in a way you know back then when it, it was a million times harder to shame them I think or maybe it was easier. I, I'm not exactly sure. So I think he's trying... I've really got the sense of here was somebody who was like, hey, we can all work together to make this happen. You know, like nobody wants to see this happen to Gary, you know, kind of thing. And I I, 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 I wasn't as sad as you were because I kind of felt like here was a guy who was breaking out his, you know... Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, I, for some reason, Neil Adams strikes me as our Bill Clinton, except he, you know, just happens to have kooky theories about the Earth and Batman, as opposed to, you know, being having a, a slightly prolific approach to, um, I don't know, uh, monogamy, non-monogamy. Anyway, uh, it, but but I kind of, I kind of the thing, the closest I came to being sad about it was just the idea of that it wasn't going to work. You know what I mean? Like, everyone is kind of clearly, like, the closest thing we're going to have to having this work is giving money to Gary Friedrich, you know? I mean, that's the thing that kind of, that bummed me out when, like, Casada and Buckley, you know, addressed this at, is it CBR? It was CBR, and that was a fascinating little interview. <laughs> Wasn't it? I mean, because it really, it, it, it struck me as... I don't know what it was. It struck me as a, a yeah a PR statement with with a few questions thrown in to to give it some shape, but it to me really had these moments of again even as they were stressing various things like hey this is a this is a contra-. what I was fascinated with was a they were as much concerned about comforting freelancers about their own ability to sell convention sketches at cons yes. You know, as they were about the state of Gary Friedrich, and what they were was like, "Hey, look, this was a this was a document that both parties agreed to." Kind of downplaying the part that those things get agreed to when somebody loses, you know, and the other side has all the power. You know? No, that like that's Gary. what was that's what was kind of fascinating. That they were like, mm-hmm. "No, everyone agreed to this." Right. At some point, Gary Friedrich's attorneys were like, "Look, here's an idea. Why don't we just..." give you $17,000. Exactly. As opposed to you taking our house, taking everything, why don't we just give you $17,000 and that will prevent you from suing us into existence. And, also, and they sort of spun it. What I found fascinating was they were like, the litigation isn't finished. Yes. Right. So well, like, because they were like a, the appeal process, you know. 
I mean, they were they weren't like they weren't, and it's true. the The whole situation could somehow turn around on appeal. Although I don't think anyone's expecting that. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the nature of the the appeal process, I I really was sad that Casada's like, well, as you know, you know, I I feel very strongly about participating with the Hero Initiative, and it's the only you know charity that I really work with, and I encourage everyone to give donations about it. And I'm like. This, it just felt like such a cop-out to me. Like, which is horrible, because the guy is working with a charity, I'm sure he's raised lots of money, but it is... It doesn't address the problem. You know what I mean? It's it's like giving change to a homeless guy, rather than just kind of working to make sure that there's an actual structure and a safety net in place for those people. Well, what was particularly yeah. fascinating about the interview for me was the addition at the end of the question that Marvel didn't answer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was which that was, was like, wow. Clearly, yeah. someone at CPR is pissed that they didn't answer this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the question again? Uh, in the course of, uh, let's see, what is the qu- uh, issues of legal ownership aside? One of the most common complaints, if the most common complaint about the comics industry, is that the deck has been stacked against working creators as far back as the industry's inception. Does Marvel feel a responsibility now to help support the writers and artists who help build the Marvel Universe, and in particular the artists who had a direct hand in creating the kind of franchise characters that can support multi-million dollar movie and licensing endeavors? Right. Right, which is And the best part was, they declined comment with the spokesman citing the ongoing litigation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I thought that was interesting that that question got included because it is it's that it's such a weird like, you know, PS. Here's the hardball question. No, no, exactly. It's like we have just given these guys a platform to say, "Hey, you guys, everything's fine." And here's the question they didn't answer. Right. Well, uh, it 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 seemed weird because it didn't seem like it was the way it was edited, it didn't seem like it was discussed originally. It sort of seemed like, oh, and our follow-up question is, why won't you, what, will you ever stop treating people like crap, you know, when unanswered? And I'm like, unanswered? Because it was unquestioned up until this follow-up? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I was really... You could, didn't know you could tell. This was like an email thing. Mm-hmm. This, this mm-hmm. wasn't a... Spe- this wasn't a we are speaking to you uh, face-to-face because... Or I guess that's form. right. Because it's, I mean, it's, no one talks like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think. Do you know, what I mean, it's quite clearly an email that they've they've added the thanks for taking the time to discuss at the start after the fact, and so mm-hmm. the follow up will be a follow up, and the the response would have been, you basically you've had your lot. Yeah. We we've we've responded to your first email. That's the statement. Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. Right. Which hardly is that is not really surprising, is it? Well, that's that's the way these things go, especially right. if you're talking about the publisher and the CCO of a company. You're, you're, you get one pass. <laughs> you get one well, pass. You basically, are no going into it that you're giving them a PR opportunity, or that right. if you ask anything that is uncomfortable, it will just not get answered. Well, and this is one of the things that I would kind of like is like I'm like, huh? Are people actually sort of growing something like spines uh, in in the in some of the more comics news reportage sites? You know. I don't, it would I mean, be nice. I, I think so. I think in certain places. But then you get things like David Brother and David Bruce and Mary's thing was today, which was oh, yeah. fucking spectacular, but was a yeah. fourth letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, those guys mm-hmm. both write for Comics Alliance. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, 
by the way, let me spell that out for the listeners, by the way, because that is something that I can imagine them missing, uh, which is just that David Brothers and David Uzumari did an amazing job um, essentially figuring out how the the Marvel pirated comics that come out like clockwork every week, uh, where they come from and ended up really nailing down how they're getting out there. Which, which was even because it was a security leak in Marvel's FTP. Yeah, which exactly. Which is amazing that basically the two Davids do that with, I mean, however long they've been working on it, and Marvel has not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. Right. I mean, that I, mean just, I, I, I said it on Newsarama, and I, you know, I, I really mean it. Marvel owed them something. Agreed. I totally feel that way. I'm like, you know what? Though that's the sort of stuff that, um, especially because they told Marvel, you they would pay, pay, right? Exactly. Instead of keeping it to themselves, they let them what's know. Happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the idea that they're going to get a free code for like a digital combo pack. Oh, or please something. tell me that's not what they're giving them. Please tell me they're. Oh, I don't. I, I don't. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but I. I, I, I what hope I, you're you joking. Cause I. They. They. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really surprised I've not seen anything in social media or on the, the websites today along the lines of officially from Marvel saying thanks. Yeah. I'm right. Really well, I impressed. imagine they're going to check it. I imagine they're going to check it out first, make sure that they're not being lied to, and then they're just going to be like, okay, great, thanks. Next time you're at NYCC, we'll take, you know, CB Sablewski will take you out to dinner, you know? Like, as opposed to. That's something that that a security expert would have charged thousands of dollars for if we contracted them. Or or who was it? You had that amazing. Didn't you have that link to that astonishing story about the? Um, was it McAfee uh, that had gotten approached by the hackers who were like, yes, more yes. or less extorting them? Yeah, it's, like, actually, it's actually McAfee. Was, someone was like, we have your code. We have the code. <laughs> we have the code to your security system. Um, yeah. Give us money and. The guy was like, "Okay, that was the amazing part." Yeah, that the executive was willing to pay. Was it fifty thousand? Was it? Yeah, I think it was at least fifty thousand. If, if it was a lot, of money. a lot of money, mm-hmm. and he was willing to just be like, "Yeah, sure," as opposed to you know trying to fix the problem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because so, that mean, was, it really me, was maybe this maybe this speaks to my own untrustworthiness. But if I got that email and I was working at McAfee, I would stall while telling people within the company you have to change this because they've worked this out yeah exactly exactly um well and and it was fascinating watching the dual face saving going on where it was like oh no we were leading them on because we had the fbi on it and we were getting ready to crack them and the hackers going oh no we didn't even really want five fifty thousand dollars we just wanted to show that you guys were like willing to pay us or whatever it was you know yeah it's just um, the whole thing is just stunning and honestly the fact that this Marvel leak has apparently been there for so long is kind of fascinating because you'd, you'd think that someone would have noticed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you well, it, it, either, it either means no one at Marvel really cares about piracy yes because seriously if Brothers News America worked that out that quickly yeah, no, I mean, admittedly, those guys are super sharp and super smart, but they didn't have the inside access that someone no, Marvel exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. It's, essentially, it's essentially, like, implicitly approved, I guess. 
Well, uh, here's the thing. I don't think that maybe it's like implicitly approved, but I would be curious if, because originally the, the idea was essentially, are the leaks coming from inside the house? And then people are like, oh, no, 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 wait. It's, you know, an FTP security weakness. But how, like, if I was somebody who was getting paid, you know, or felt compelled to leak pirated comics for whatever reason I would want to do it in a way that would offer me a certain amount of deniability like an outdated security you know exploit you know so so it doesn't get addressed forever because what happens is someone's called in and they're like well you know I I have no idea how this is happening but in fact they know perfectly you know and then when it comes about they'll be like oh well who could have ever figured that out kind of thing you know, like these people are obviously driven to, to, to defeat whatever we come up with. The great thing about the Davids doing this and figuring it out in public is hopefully it will shame Marvel into actually having real security rather than doing this thing of like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to just try and shut down as many file sharing sites as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't, I, on the one hand, I'm not like, I guess that's the thing that drives me crazy about this is is that someone like Disney is like, well, you know, people point to the piracy thing and be like, well, this is why we need SOPA. And it's like, actually, it's probably why you need a competent IT person. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's and, just it. Without SOPA, look at everything that's happened with piracy in the last two months. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, if nothing, if anything else, like this proves to me why you don't need SOPA. You just need people to do their fucking job. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Or even after it was that day after SOPA where like somebody went in and shut down, was it Mega Upload or whatever? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, if you can shut down Mega Upload like that, that quickly, clearly you don't need SOPA. Exactly. You know? it, it really was. It was uh, uh, an interesting, interesting. sort mm-hmm. of complete, it's showing, showing the failure of SOPA, I guess, or the failure of the argument in support of SOPA. Right. Right, and it, to me, it, it left a and it's kind of a somehow worst, worst feeling in my mouth. Like, oh, okay, shit. Now we got to do it this way, you know. Like, fuck. We had our attempts to be able to have, you know, our justif. We had the justification to have all this power, um, and the incident got shut down. It's like, well, we might as well take care. There's no reason to leave this barn door hanging open now that we don't have, you know an excuse to be able to shoot anyone that we see coming near the farm. You know? uh, what I'll be really interested in is seeing what happens with the attempts to resurrect Sopa and Pippa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they, they said, you know, these will come back. But I wonder what format they're going to come back in. Whether they're going to come back weaker because they already have all that power. Or whether they're just going to come back and be, fuck you all, we own the internet. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm really curious. I also suspect that it's not going to stop. Well, wasn't there wasn't there something where the I mean, of course, that dude pretty much was like all but threatened to pull Hollywood money from Obama and had the, the you know, just the amazing way of phrasing everything to make, you know, our completely screwed up political system sound more like open bribery than we already suspected that it was. <laughs> You know, like I really am kind of curious that they'll end up going in some bizarre direction with that. Um, 
you know, because because the people were reporting, there was some reason why he ended up being frustrated that the way that the current lobbying laws were set up didn't allow him to be able to have enough power lunches to convince everyone to back his play or something like that. You know, that's, which I just that's found the problem remarkable. with American politics. Why are there more power lunches? Why don't people have more ability to influence government through money? Right, right. That's just what I'm saying. That, Why is you know, if, if that would be great? Yeah. No. I. How could that turn out badly? I mean, you know. I mean, it's worked well really. so far. For sure. Agreed. Um, which reminds me, I've got, I've got to sign for some Canadian drugs that are showing up later this afternoon. So let's talk. <laughs> should we talk comics? Should we talk more comic Should we talk comics that we read, or should we attack the the forty seven questions say, let's, that we have? Let's attack the questions. Yeah, definitely. Because they've been hanging around now for three weeks, and we took last week off even. So I mean, we took yeah. last week off in the time before we answered five of them. So we really need to. I'm like, trying to find out where we left off, though. Oh shit! I was afraid of this. I because I was looking at it. I'm like, I'm too scared. To I want to I say that it was what should have been Marvel's response to. to the new 52 oh yeah I think we've answered that I think so Um, well wait should have been or wait how did we answer that what should I don't think we did is what I'm saying I think oh okay the the last one before that which was Celestials and Earth X Mm -hmm. oh right that was right okay so what should have been this is Gary's question by the way what should have Mm -hmm. been Marvel's response to the new 52 I remember that when the new 52 was announced you mentioned that Marvel is usually the one that goes batshit crazy and DC someone what were you expecting Marvel to do that would be crazy enough to trump DC's 52 or is Marvel doing the only right response to the 52 launch with their Avengers X-Men Jeff Well, okay, yes. I was expecting Marvel to be a lot more batshit. And I actually think that Avengers X versus X-Men appears to be... And we haven't seen the whole shape of the grand plan, but I suspect that Avengers versus X-Men is going to be the last... If it doesn't work, the last hurrah in the traditional uh, Marvel approach of the last few years, which is big crossover event that resets the status quo moving into the next event to make people see the next chapter of how it of how things play out but with bigger stakes and i think as graham and i i don't know i'm still very strong it strongly believe that we'll be looking at some sort of soft to medium reboot at the end of all that i i I think we really are heading towards that especially because i can't remember who it was it might have been axel alonso someone recently said something along the lines of when asked essentially what is after avengers x-men said after death comes rebirth i mean that's that's as close to being like hey everyone reboot yeah as yeah, you can exactly. get. And I, I I said it before, I think they're going to hit, try and have their cake and eat it. I think they're going to try and have an in-continuity reboot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so too. It, to an ex- to one that is going to make the Flash one look, Flashpoint look kind of timid. So, uh, I, although it's interesting, I vacillate. I really vacillate between they're just going to keep the stories going and they're going to reboot everything to the idea of they are going to have they're going to reboot everything because and it's also going to be like 
a, a, a lot more closer to um, one more day-ish than, than we would expect. Yeah, I, I think one more day is the model for how the Marvel reboot could work. Yeah. That they yeah. change the status quo more than just like, and now Norman Osborn is in charge, but they actually change particulars about the characters and their pasts while keeping yes. everything contemporary. Yeah, exactly. So that you, you essentially have a, you have a situation where yeah, basically where Peter Parker is is suddenly a teenager just about to graduate high school or has just entered college, depending on where they feel comfortable with. Um, well, this was kind of my my question about if they do it. Where do you reboot X-Men to? That's a really good question. Um, I Personally, I would say that you reboot it just reboot it back to as close to um, Uncanny X-Men... Like all new, all different know. era? Uh, yeah, as you can get. Yeah, that, get. that's what I was thinking. Like, that's the, the cleanest place to reboot it to, that is still recognizable as X-Men. Because I think you can't exactly. put it all the way back to the original, because you're like, no Wolverine yet. Right. Exactly. No. But you get, it, you get it there, and you get it to a stage where it's like, there's the team, you know, Jean Grey's on the team... Like Cyclops and Jean Grey are like right there. Like a bunch of the other pieces get moved to to the other side, but you get to keep various little, you know, you get to keep Magneto's characterization in terms of the respectful thing that he has with Professor X and blah blah blah. And there's even you know mentions of an earlier team with earlier members, but whether or not you actually see that, you know, and maybe a few years down the line, if you do see that original team, it may not look like the original team that we've always been used to so yeah I think that's I, I think it it'll be interesting because on the one hand I think that there although there would be a lot of people who'd be like oh this seems like a big cheat there's a lot of people considering what Marvel Comics is selling at now it would be a sort of smoother more elegant version of the new 52 in that sense you know do you think they can do that without people just shouting rip off and part B of this essay question. Does it matter if people shout ripoff? I was about to say, taking B first, I would say it doesn't matter because there's always going to be A. I think they feel that. I think even I feel that. Like, I don't necessarily know if there's a way for them to continue to... Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, operate, essentially. I, I kind of feel that way. I sort of feel that even though there's a ton of people doing good work at Marvel right now I feel like a lot of people just don't have enough interest in reading it and and you keep bumping against corners I guess I mean I think the smartest thing that they could do with their new number ones is not have new origin issues just change the status quo you know so the Fantastic Four have gone into space you know they've had their thing but don't do the Heroes Reborn thing of like starting from your very first um, you know, origin story. And Here, if that's really t- tempting to people, yes? I was going to say, here's a couple of responses to that. One, is it possible that the season one books are the new origins? Well, and that was the other thing that I was going to think, is like, what if that's part of the stealth reboot already? So, like, if people come out with these new number ones and everyone's like, oh my god, well wait, what's what's happened before? Like, all these characters, what are their origins or whatever? You just promote your, your yeah, your season one books. And, and thing, too, that I thought was fascinating was I was listening to... Um, Brian Bendis on the Word Balloon 
mm-hmm. interview, and someone said, "What do you think about the new Fifty Two books that you've read?" And he was pretty much like, "I think they all should have been origin issues." Really? Yeah, he was like, "There weren't enough origin issues," which struck me as uh, like he was missing the point, I guess. Because mm-hmm. it's not like they weren't origin issues by mistake. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. they, they clearly made the choice of we're starting in media res. Right. Which I like and I think was a smart choice. I can also see why Bendis thought that that was a mistake, you know, because... Well, he's a, he's a success starting with the, the origin issues. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like That's, that's the model that worked like, for yeah. him. When he, with his mm-hmm. reboot of Spider-Man, that worked. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think the thing that helped him in a way, which was the thing that everyone complained about, is he flipped a 15-page origin story into six issues, you know? And that itself was weird enough and odd enough and new enough that it had a certain amount of, I don't know, you know, punch to it. Uh, I I think that with because Marvel had, uh, DC had done so many secret origin books there were at least three of them floating around at that point that still seemed mostly applicable um i i it didn't it didn't really seem to make i can see his point i think that i i can see why you think that he's missing it i i really pray to god that if marvel's doing any sort of reboot situation they do not do that because that is that's it's a it's a huge mistake. I don't know why I feel that way, but I honestly feel. Oh, I I, I think I think it'd be horrible. Issues. I think if you locked yeah. in the entire line to an mm-hmm. origin story for the first six months, I yeah. think I think you're really going to see attribution, uh, not attribution, attrition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even more attrition than than I think what they're necessarily dealing with now. So. Here's another question. Were you as surprised as I was to see that Marvel didn't get anything in the top ten, and DC did with the fifth issue of their series? Did that not yeah. seem really weird to you? Like the fifth issue? Uh, well, I, hmm. Yes, it did strike me as really strange. At the same time, it also didn't. It didn't. Um. But here's how. To, here's how I put. I think that it is a mistake to 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 point the two directly to each other. I really do believe that the proverbial chickens have come home to roost at DC. I, at Marvel. Jesus, I don't know why I'm flipping those about. So that Marvel Marvel's souffle is collapsing no matter what. I think I think it had nothing to do with the new 52 that they had to overship so dramatically on what was their what was the big event stuff? Not even the point one book, but the other thing that it turns out that Defenders got overshipped by fifty percent and with its first issue. And it right. debuted like issue eight. And then the second issue went to issue forty three. Yeah. So now we're yeah. the number forty three in the charts. Yeah, exactly. There, there was, was that. And there was... <laughs> like that's that's, and I understand because mm-hmm. I actually looked at the order estimates, and it's actually when you look at what was ordered for issue one and what was ordered for issue two. I mean, it's a, a drop, but it's nowhere near as bad as it looks when you look at the chart placings. Well, and I do think that there, it is absolutely absurd. Like I was asking Hibbs about this the other day, and he explained part of it, but it drives me crazy that free overshipping counts towards sales but returnability doesn't yeah no that 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 is insane to me uh, um, i mean and the only thing i can think about 
is mm -hmm. that it's literally counting the number of issues that retailers have to sell. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So it's not it's not orders at mm -hmm. all. Right. It's literally the yeah, number the, the, copies yeah, that they have. These numbers. But it, it's incredibly yeah. frustrating to see them take ten percent off DC and mm -hmm. include all the Marvel overships. Yeah. Excuse yeah, exactly. chart so crazily. But what was fascinating was of the top ten in January, only one of those books was returnable. Wow. Right. Yeah, which which actually that doesn't surprise me. I think because because those were the books, is unless I'm mistaken, where the incentives were the more traditional variant covers and things like that, and were the books that DC had a lot more confidence in in the first place, like Justice League and Batman and Green Lantern, right, and Aquaman. Even is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so, top ten is Justice League. It's like Justice League, Batman, Green Lantern, Action Comics. Mm -hmm. um, the Flash is in there. Wow, I can't even remember. Again. I thought Aquaman was in it. Like Aquaman Aquaman's was in it. Aquaman's so, number ten. Yeah, yeah. Someone pointed out that Aquaman actually outsold Spider-Man that month, or some something that that sounds unbelievably absurd. Aquaman, Aquaman outsold everything apart from nine other comics. Well, yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, if if you've got a situation where Aquaman is outselling X Men, like you're in weird territory. You're in really, really weird territory. Well, to be don't fair, get a, lot, a lot of things have been outselling X Men for a while. Although it's sure. interesting now that X Men are back to being Marvel's top franchise. Yeah, which I think <laughs> happened really quietly. Because I think that a lot of people still think the Avengers are Marvel's top franchise because Marvel has the movie franchise, and so they act like it is. But X Men yeah. is selling it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, right. The X-Men relaunch has definitely worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. Well, I mean, well, it is... Wolverine and X-Men and Uncanny are the top, two top-selling Marvel books right now. Yes. So in that sense, it's worked. The number of sales are unbelievably anemic, though. Sure, but that's all across the board for Marvel. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, is I feel that, yeah, Marvel souffle... Marvel is able to continue to redo its things within Marvel. So, like you said, like... The X-Men franchise worked for it within Marvel, but the fact that those titles are still under 100,000 copies, I think, I believe, right? Aren't they around 85 yeah, or 80 or something? We'll see if the, if the official estimates are up. Yeah, but yeah they're, they're, they're low. They're definitely under 100,000. Yeah. Um, I, I really do think, I think Marvel has exhausted a lot of goodwill. And I kind of think you're going to see that with... Avengers versus X-Men. Like, assuming that we're right about the reboots, um, I honestly think that Marvel's publishing schedule is going to be basically a Potemkin village for the next six to nine months, you know, where they will get, they will make sure that they're on their charts, even if they have to double ship issues, you know, free overship <coughs> everything by 150 or 100 percent um, until the reboot. What will be interesting is if Marvel keeps overshipping and the retailers get smart to that and under order. Uh, I I th I think the retail I don't know if the retailers are are hip to it. I think the retailers just don't give a shit. You know what I mean? No, like no, I don't think if, if they get hip to it is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Where you're if, saying if like everyone's going to be like Marvel starts reliably overshipping, right? First issues of major titles. 
Right. So, and, like, for so example, like, if Avengers X-Men... Yeah, they're like, I can sell 60,000 of these, but I'm going to order 40,000 because Marvel's going to overshoot me 50%. Right. Exactly. Maybe I I it it seems like a it seems like a an intriguing desperate gamble to play. There's probably never been a safer time to play it. That's for sure. Um, uh, looking at the numbers, the X Men books, which are the top Marvel books, sold mm-hmm. sixty three thousand. Holy fuck! According, right. to, I mean, according to the estimates, bear in mind that yeah. for the U S. So mm-hmm. you're significantly off. Yeah, yeah and it's it's normally significantly off for in terms of actual sales as well but yeah those are right. those are scary numbers scary numbers as well because that's the 11th top selling book right in the market right yeah I mean that's that's pretty bad not that I was tracking the numbers or the estimates back in in the late 90s but that's amazingly bad I mean it's kind of bad for everyone overall I'll be you know uh, the the our top that top 10 is not We'll see. Well, be, well what's really depressing is by the time you get to number 100, you're 18,000 mm-hmm. copies. Holy cow. Well, wait, for number 100? Yeah, that's yeah. bad. What What is that title? Do you know? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whew. Okay. okay. Um, what's the first big two title above that, really? First big two title above that? Yeah. So like the uh, lowest selling title from DC is, or Marvel. Is Marvel? Oh no, no, because there's lower selling titles, Marvel and DC titles than that. Yeah, no, I, I'm. Re- I on the one hand, I imagine I'm just really curious. You know what I mean? Like, uh, number ninety nine is Magneto, not a hero, which is also eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand eight hundred and four. But wow. below that, Resurrection Man is a uh, Penguin, Pain and Prejudice, Alpha Flight, Battle Scars, Battle Scars, which was really fucking hyped by Marvel. And again, didn't it have free over? It, it was overshipped on yeah, first issue, wasn't it? Maybe, but uh, this is the third issue, and it's eighteen thousand one hundred and two. Eighteen thousand copies for Battle Scars. Yeah. I mean, that it to me is really a sign that people don't care. I mean, not even necessarily that retailers care or don't care. I mean, in that sense, I almost feel like I can see why Marvel's like, you know what? Let's cancel out if the only thing that are selling are our top titles let's sell our top titles twice as much and get rid of our B list. You know? Um, I think I think as far as, you know, a scary crackhead choice, it's it's almost kind of sensible. You know? Because if you, if you can no longer hype a project, if you can't hype a project like that, um, you know, I can't even believe, I mean, look at the numbers for Fear Itself the Fearless and compare that to, to just Brightest Day. And it's embarrassing. I mean, that is a sign that there is nothing that can move those needles apart from one or two things. You know, Marvel's got maybe two or three things up its sleeve that can apparently move copies. And I swear to God, I'm no longer even sure what those things are. Do you, Okay, do you think that Avengers versus X-Men is going to be hit after its third month? I know. So, so the, mid, no. the midway point. Right. I I don't know cuz my thing is is I think that the best case scenario for them is that Avengers versus X-Men launches low and builds steam, you know? Cuz and and I don't think that honestly I I, I think they, if Avengers versus X-Men doesn't launch at number 1, mm-hmm. it's just going to be I I think the PR 
aspect of it is going to be horrible because they're throwing so much attention and throw many, throwing so many eyeballs on this that this is their new 52. If they hype this up as much as DC's a new 52 and they don't get the number one spot, that's a disaster. Well, but this is the thing. That's the reason why I personally... I personally think that there are going... that Avengers vs. X-Men is going to, to move 120,000 copies. You know? I just don't think... I don't think that that's going to be the number that the retailers ordered. I think what what's going to happen is, is that either... Like I said, they're either going to Potemkin Village it, where Avengers vs. X-Men moves 120,000 copies or starts at 100,000 copies and closes at 115,000 copies because Marvel is overshipping to hit those numbers all the way through. Um, you know, because I honestly, I could be wrong, but I I do not see anyone... I don't see anyone buying Avengers vs. X-Men in... Maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. Like, like why if you're selling if if Avengers is, if X-Men is your top selling franchise and it's moving 68,000 copies why would you do anything but like maybe one and a half times that you know like because it's the big book Jeff yeah well you're right but of course this is the thing is the retailers everyone's learned that the big you can't just have a big book because someone says it's a big book like that's if there's anything that I think Fear but, Itself taught everyone right but there. Really, can, can you not? Because Fear Itself, Fear Itself sold a lot more. Like Fear Itself sold twice as many copies as Uncanny X-Men does. Right. So how much can you really not convince people that it's the big book? Because I think you can. I think if Marvel just keeps saying for long enough, this is it, this is the big one. Mm-hmm. Then I think, I think, I think, I. Honestly, if it does not outsell Justice League for me, that's a disaster for Marvel. Well, I think Marvel might be looking at a disaster because if nothing, let's put it this way: I could be wrong, but when you title a book Avengers versus X Men and then you announce that the fights are going to actually be in a separate miniseries, you know what I mean? Like it would almost be like if you had a book if you if your crossover event was called Fear Itself, but you were going to have a separate miniseries of people being afraid. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't. It makes no sense. Red You're like, itself, then. If if the only thing that you have is Avengers versus X Men, but it's all only going to be um, debate team battles for the main series, and then pit fisty punchy stuff in the other miniseries, like that just I don't see where that lends anything anyone any confidence. Because it seems to me you're taking the verses out of Avengers versus X Men by by doing that. Well, you are. That's why the new series is called Avengers versus X Men versus, which is is my is like it's up there with Ultimate Comic Ultimates for the title. <laughs> You're right, Avengers versus X Men versus. Like, doesn't that just seem? I mean, it. it but do you know what? Add another team at the end. Do you know what? It's called like Avengers versus X Men versus Defenders. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That then it would be awesome. You know. <laughs> I don't think they would have enough teams in there anymore, but you know, yeah, absolutely, I'm totally down with that. But, but I think I, I, I think I, Marvel I, I, seems so desperate and gritty. I, you know, just so eager for a fix. I just think that there's a stage at which people just get scared off. I, I think you know? they're. I think they're. They should be really worried with the January numbers. I don't know if they are, but I think mm-hmm. like seeing a, a X sanction drop to fifty-eight thousand in a second issue. Mm-hmm. Kind of suggests to me that people aren't that interested in it. 
Yeah, I don't think people are that interested in anything. If that's the prelude of your big story, Mm -hmm. then that's kind of a problem. Yeah. I, what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to I think it's going to launch really big and I think it's going to tumble. Hmm. I think yeah, it's going it's, to launch. I think it's. Going I think it's going to be the best yeah. selling Marvel title. Mm, right. Well, this is my thing. I could be wrong, but I believe that you are right. But only because I believe what's going to happen is you're going to see something like Fear itself and Fearless, where there's so much overshipping with the first issue and two issues that the third issue is going to have this huge dramatic fall and that's going to be the numbers that the retailers were going to be ordering at anyway which is 80,000 copies or 70,000 copies I just I just think that that's the case 80,000 know? copies would still give them the number 6 book in the January charts then they might be happy with that but you know I'm trying to I'm trying to be like that would be my that would be my version of what retailers were going for number one or 80 and 90,000 copies which that's, admittedly in a bad month is wrong yeah I know I could be totally that's wrong that's just crazy that, that like that mm-hmm. that strikes me as a sign that the Marvel brand is fucked yeah well, and we shouldn't take my word for it by far, obviously. This would be a good one to actually... In fact, even if we got Hibbs in here, he wouldn't necessarily be the right person to talk to because he's not, you know, he's not so much a DC store, really. You know, I mean, I mean, he is a DC store, not a Marvel store. You really need someone who's like a huge Marvel guy to tell you what his numbers are going to be like, and then we can draw it from there. But my my personal theory is, is that Marvel's moved from event fatigue to event chronic fatigue syndrome and it doesn't matter what they do short of the big reboot no one is going to give a shit I just don't think anyone is going to give a shit the closest that everyone's willing to gamble on giving a shit these days for Marvel seems to be around 90,000 copies do you think the the reboot will make people give a shit I think so I think so because it will be if they do it it's you know, and it's separate for it's not a heroes reborn situation. They can tout it, and I mean, of course, Marvel doesn't really worry about verisimilitude in their press releases anyway. They can tout it as their first genuine reboot, and if they get it into the papers, it's actually going to hit more people. There, I think they've got a bigger sea of lapsed fans out there than DC's DC does. So yeah, I think that honestly but, they can get a lot of people out in the door for that. But here's the thing. <laughs> Are the fans lapsed not because of the creative teams? If they relaunch Avengers and it's Jonathan Hickman and Olivia Coipel or Coipel or however you say his name. Right. Why would those lapsed fans come back? It's the same guys that drove them away. Whereas I think DC, DC didn't really have that issue because I think... DC's people had been driven away by earlier creative teams. Mm, Does right, that make sense? Right. Like sure, who, sure, sure. Jeff Johns came in. Right. That could be. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't necessarily... I don't think that, like, numbers decreased, um, and I could be completely mistaken. I don't think that people were driven away from Marvel... I don't. I, I don't think that it's, like, a matter that people were, like, driven away from, say, Captain America by Ed Brubaker for example, you know? I, I think that it's very much a case of 
people were although maybe that could be the case maybe everyone's like I've got 100 issues by this guy why should I buy one more even though it's got a new number one on it I mean well, look, at, fair, look at what has, has happened on the new number one there has been two Captain America number ones by Brubaker in the last yeah. 10 years alone yeah exactly and I mean that, that's why at, I'm that's why I'm wondering whether a reboot will even work all the Marvel series have been relaunched uh, but but they've all been relaunched in a way that doesn't mean anything. Like first it was a relaunch that meant new team, creative team, and then it was just a relaunch that was like a new direction for the book. What's yeah. that? Or so a movie coming out? Yeah, or there's a movie coming out. But I think the idea that you relaunch it because it's a a new universe. I think would be potentially really tempting to for a lot of people. I think I think the Marvel version of the new Fifty Two could move copies, even with the same teams. Um, I think the problem would be how Marvel would be able to do stuff in a way that it's new. You know what I mean? Like, even if you have Peter Parker, like, back in high school or back at college, you know, I don't... But I don't know. I mean, this is this weird thing of, like, to me, that's this weird betrayal of everything that was... that that Marvel Comics are quote-unquote supposed to be about. But I remember seeing people complaining about that in 1974, mm-hmm. you know? Like, reading, reading the letters pages for Amazing Spider-Man at issue 140 is fascinating because they're like Peter Parker has been in college for like nine years now come on how are you expecting us to believe this and it's like haha face front true believers you know like put you in a time machine and shoot you forward to 2010 and see what happens to you know your brain then (laughs) yeah but here's the thing if they go Peter Parker's back in college or high school what makes that different from the ultimate universe uh, I think the idea to me, and I could be wrong, is is that Peter Parker, you then have Peter Parker in the Avengers as a teenager. You then have... But is that you know really, I mean? does, but does that really matter? Do you know what I mean? Uh, no, like, I, I think not. If, if you reboot everything, yeah. then you're... I think, first of all, you kind of retroactively fuck the Ultimate Universe. Because the Ultimate Universe is now older than the main the Marvel Universe. But I, I'm convinced that the, the ultimate universe is fucked anyway. I could be wrong on this, but I don't I think that I think that the ultimates is a very is the closest thing the ultimates has to a wintergreen uh, or an evergreen series there. I don't I don't even think Ultimate Spider Man is moves that many copies any as anymore than it used to. And it should. You know, the the, the trade paperbacks of Bendis's Ultimate Spider Man just don't have as much uh sales force Gumption. They they just don't seem to move the way they used to, and so at that point they're like, why not? Why who you know like we'll just close down the ultimate universe. We had a thing going on there, but you know we'll take all that energy and we'll put it because they reboot. There's the, there's nothing moving in the ultimate universe except Ultimate Spider-Man, which continues to plummet. But like Hickman's Ultimate Comics Ultimates Ultimates isn't doing anything, is it? 34,865 copies estimated at number 56 in the charts. Yeah, so I mean, that's not great. What's fascinating is Ultimate Comics X-Men is right behind it. Number 57. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's they've achieved parity, which really surprises me. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That that surprises me too. Well, it surprises me and it doesn't surprise me. I, I guess. Like, if you look at the heyday and the vast gap between Ultimates and Ultimate X Men, that's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I kind of it sort of makes sense to me that Ultimate X Men that you can carry. Like, I just think that that would be sort of those are more the numbers that you would expect to see from a average tier ultimate book you know um i i i've also interested to see what happens with ultimate comics ultimates now when hickman leaves which has now been announced yeah i don't I, it'll probably drop maybe but i mean but, isn't but ultimate will it, comics will... x-men from spencer nick spencer yeah, right yeah so i mean that's what i, I think, think like i can't believe yeah hickman uh, right is not outselling spencer more yeah, I don't think that he is. I don't think Hickman's a name. I really don't think Hickman's a name. Hickman's a name that we all talk about. I don't think that Hickman moves the dial at all. I think that most of the stuff that you saw in the Fantastic Four would still have done the same numbers. Um, there's a possibility that the Fantastic Four's retention of their post-600 numbers might be due to Hickman, maybe. But I don't even know how much they're retaining those numbers. I haven't looked at them. I know they've dropped, but not not as horribly as one would expect yeah I, I think if you compare this is when we should look at Paul O'Brien's numbers where he compares them year on year but I think Fantastic Four is ultimately still up yeah still up but has dropped but I I, and I could be wrong I think that Marvel's you know quote unquote new gun talent or whatever they call it that they're architects I don't think the architects move numbers I don't I think the architects move as many numbers as they would be as they would without their backing you know I, I think Fraction sells what Fraction's going to sell and Bendis sells what Bendis is going to sell and Brubaker ditto before they were architects after they were architects and I think it's I think it's the same thing I don't think those I don't think those things move if, the dial if, if true that. that's kind of tragic because I, I maintain that the architects branding was the stupidest thing Marvel could have done yeah and I think it accomplished nothing. I could be wrong, but well, I, I think it accomplished only bad things. Yes, exactly. I think saying right. these are the five import, most important writers, they're writing the important books, is a disastrously <laughs> stupid thing yeah. to say. You're, you're saying like, hey, this is the only thing that matters. Everything else, it really doesn't matter. And what these kind, guys what's matter kind of so hilarious much. is that the genuine buzz books of Marvel in the last year mm-hmm. did not come mm-hmm. from any of those writers. Right. Right. Well, what would you call the buzz books? Like Daredevil from Wade, right? Yeah, and uh, Uncanny X-Force by Remender. Right. Yeah, exactly. Those yeah, are those true. two that like, is another genuinely big buzz books for Marvel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good point. I'm glad you re- reminded me of Remender. Um, yeah, right, because that's... Because you can't, you can't really fake buzz. I mean, you know, you can sort of fake it in the short term, but those numbers don't necessarily hold out. Like when people start turning around and they're excited, I mean, it's got, it. It isn't even like nerds on the internet talking. Like I, per, I am perfectly sure that if I was talking up Remender's books, um, and it was something other than Uncanny X Force, there would have been far less people willing to try it. I mean, that's not true. I've got people who, God bless, listen to me rant on and on, and you know, people like I think Ben Lipman who picked up you know Bakuman or something like that. But as a general rule of thumb, when I've heard from people who are like, yeah, I went and picked up Remender on Uncanny X-Force and I enjoyed it tremendously, um, it means that there is a sweet spot that's being hit there that you can't just say like, 
I mean, it's tough. It is. It's when you've got when you've got some dude like Kurt Busiek being like, you know, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four is not for me. Like, I think you you are in some serious troubles because I think the marketplace is still more like Kurt Busiek than than people at Marvel want to think or want to say that it is. You've just you've just tangentially reminded me. Did you see the new Superman cover? The Superman uh, for whatever Superman issue nine, I think, that's in the solicits. No, Where no. Superman uh, meets his new villain, the masochist, who's a girl who wears a T-shirt that says "Hurt Me." Yeah, I heard that on Twitter, and, and I was actually—it's one of those things where you're—I I had this like uber fast reaction, and went through like seventeen waves, and eventually came down to that's a great idea for a character in any comic that isn't Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like putting that in Superman is horrifically tone deaf. My my worry when I actually heard about that was I was like, oh gee, it sounds like such a um, it sounded like such a bad. Like really bad Grant Morrison idea. I was actually terrified yes! that it was. I thought that I I was like, it's like something Grant Morrison would have come up with in Doom Patrol as a joke. And then I thought, no, it sounds like a Keith Giffen idea. And it's sure enough, Keith Giffen is the one who's writing Superman now. <laughs> wow, good call there. Um, no, but it does. It sounds like something out of Ambush Book. Do you not think or Lobo? I I I guess I, it's funny. Like I said, my first thought was really just bad Grant Morrison and for some reason I didn't make the connection to Keith Giffen or something like that um, because what is it like I think there's any number of people that could come up with a terrible idea for a character like that or 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 not a terrible character but a character I guess the reason why it sounds like a good Lobo or ambush bug character particularly Lobo is, is the idea of having a character that gets more power the more they get hurt yeah. works well in a book where the person doesn't care about the other person being hurt but the reason why that makes absolutely no sense in Superman is he's just such not a he's not a better or for worse he's not a brute force hero yeah if Superman is being Superman he can think of ten different ways to sort that out without having to hurt her because he wouldn't want to hurt her because he would never want to hurt someone especially a woman yeah so you know like there's there's so much that's wrong with being a Superman Mm -hmm. character yeah uh, yeah, in, in being a Superman character, it be it, it yeah exactly. It becomes a weird, it becomes a, a like almost a three page opening gag in a Dan Jurgens issue, you know. It's Dan Jurgens um, is correcting the, the, the book with Keith Giffen. Is he? Oh my god! All <laughs> yes, right, okay. That's what makes that hilarious. I have to. Oh no, man, it's too terrifying. Uh, I, um, I have the I have the sales estimates, like the January chart in front of me, and I I'm yes. scrolling up and down, and I really shouldn't. It's just Defenders issue two, and we know how like Defenders written by one of the architects, really heavily hyped, spinning out of fear itself, was outsold by Red Lanterns. <laughs> what? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> See, that's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. See, I mean, that's like really, that's like strange days. That's like two-headed calf days for the comic book industry. That just doesn't seem. Red Lanterns like also outsold Wolverine and the X Men Alpha and Omega, the miniseries by Brian Wood, the first issue. Well, that's not surprising though. I, I I know that's going to sound weird, but I absolutely believe that's not surprising. Outsold Secret Avengers. It outsold Iron Man. 
Iron Man's a little strange. Iron Man's, the rest of the Iron Man's heavily down the chart, actually. I'm impressed. Like, did Secret Avengers outsell, um, outsell Iron Man? Yep. Yep. What issue? The the point one issue or this new jumping on Remender the issue? Point, the point one issue. Oh, which was also Remender. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Remender's got a certain amount of heat. I can see him. I, I just can't see Red Lanterns outselling anything. I can't, anything. Red Lanterns, Red Lanterns is... The number forty level number forty on the chart. Red Lanch is outselling a lot. Wow. 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 That Lantern is, is outselling Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Significantly Again. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is at number sixty three in the chart. At yeah. thousand copies. At, at how many? Thirty thousand copies. Yeah. I, I really do think that, that they destroyed the goodwill for Buffy on that season, that whole season eight. They just didn't handle it right. Hey, what, what did you think about the, the uh, in the mainstream media stories about Buffy deciding to have an abortion? Or I missed it. Okay, so spoilers, everyone, including Jeff, although I don't think you read the book. Um, <laughs> I, I thought seeing as it was two weeks after this was in the mainstream media, I thought I could talk about it. Um... Right. Buffy apparently, because uh, I've not read the new issue yet, has decides to have an abortion after discovering that she got pregnant from someone she doesn't remember who having sex with uh, at a party. And Joss Whedon is doing all the interviews about how he's really like addressing a serious topic and it's not gratuitous or sensationalistic. And I can't take him seriously because it feels like two years ago that he was like, Buffy is bisexual and I'm not doing it gratuitously. I'm talking about what women really go through. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, every season, every new season of Buffy as a comic features Buffy doing something controversial. Right. And then him like, I'm not being controversial. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, this is my thing. I, I at, at some point, right? I, I don't have a lot of faith in Whedon. God, I'm just in my days of I have faith in so few. But I, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, even before the bisexuality thing, I just kind of thought that season eight was badly bungled enough that I no longer cared about the characters. I can see why he's thinking like, yeah, this would be a. Th- thing that makes a lot of sense to me because honestly I yeah I I've known women in their 20s who had who ended up pregnant and had to figure out what to do about it you know sure it's not actually a bad idea it's just a bad idea with this character in this way yeah and I think that's the thing that I suppose is somewhat weirdly problematic for me is that I I, I genuinely genuinely have problems with Buffy is pregnant and she doesn't remember having sex. Right. Like, that seems wildly out of character. Right. Right. I mean, not like I'm paying attention to where they've steered the character, but yeah, I think actually this is one of those weirdo things that that where... that there was some stage in the closing seasons of Buffy where for whatever reason and this is this is the this is like that really weird thing like there's such a fine line between having the opinion that I'm about to espouse now or maybe there is no line and the people who get on Stephen Moffat's ass when they find out that he 
his you know when he says that Sherlock has no sexual attraction to to John Watson or something like that mm-hmm. but for me there's this weird thing where by the time you got to the end of the Buffy TV show the the character had moved in so many places that made me think that they didn't know where they were going with the character like I, I don't know I, it, it, the, the classic example of course is is her weirdo bad relationship with Spike in the last couple of seasons yes that yes. made on the one hand a lot of sense while they were talking about it and weirdly enough I thought made a lot of sense considering the amount of chemistry that you had between James Marston and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar but somehow still seemed wrong in this weird way like and so there was a huge cognitive dissonance for me for those last two seasons of Buffy of like I see everything that they're saying I see why they're saying it and it even makes sense more than some other options that they were talking about but is still wrong you know what I mean does that sound yeah no 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 totally so for me at that stage weirdly enough was when I had this weirdo split and I guess that technically if I had been a person of a certain stripe meant that I would have taken to the internet and written all my Buffy whoever Xander fanfic although that's not really you know my <laughs> you're like all time period that's not what I want to see her do Buffy yeah exactly forever yeah exactly but but you know like but like for me like there's there's a a very weird sweet spot that is hard to hit with a female romantic lead in just about any major movie series in a weird way because i'm not entirely sure that um as much as you want a concept of romance with them there's such an important aspect of having the character not be centered around romance you know like like Joss Whedon has this really weird thing of like oh I'm just exploring these things I'm not sexually objectifying Buffy by doing this and while on the one hand even when I want to agree with him I'm still like you're kind of doing it wrong you know like to me the the huge benefit about Buffy the show was when the issues about sexual objectification um, and and the male gaze were explored via supernatural threats so that you still had the undercurrent of it but you actually had the freedom you know what I mean like there's a, just such a tremendous freedom for having Buffy be not a character defined by her sexuality you know, and the more they moved her into that definition of the sexuality, once you got past sort of that brilliant evil angel twist, like the harder and weirder and more frustrating it became. Like the closest it came to me was even as much as I hated Riley, I didn't really hate him, I just disliked him and was like, okay, that's not a good match. But that was about as good as it was going to get for me. That kind of classic idea of like, oh, Buffy's never going to be with anyone because of the various issues in in story. But outside story, what I wanted was to be able to have the freedom to have a female character not be defined by these sort of traditional objectifying roles. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So I, I completely agree. 
All right. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad. I was like, uh, this is me going to crazy down here. So ultimately, that's this weird case where I continued to split. Where I think that you know Marty Knoxon and and Whedon toward the end of the TV series continued to push the idea of like, okay, you know, because I do think that there's a lot to be said for the idea of women who are uh, who make bad decisions in college, bad boy decisions after growing up being like, you know, driven to be the good girl kind of thing. I just think that it was a mistake for them to explore that so directly as through the concept of like, and that's why she's going to be banging Spike when they're both invisible in an empty house. You know, like I'm like, it's not going to work for me. Like it just—it's not like it didn't work in a in a in like a huge way. It was just—it was one of those ways where I was like, "Yeah, this isn't this." Weirdly enough, is not what I want from this character in these situations. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I'm kind of like, I'm not surprised that Whedon's continuing to. I think he thinks that he can hit if he just rings that bell correctly. It's going to sound the tone. You know, and it's just—I don't think that's going to work for me. I think I think that's just going to be a mistake, and it might be a mistake for a lot of other people. Um, and again, there's the whole idea of like, really, an abortion? Like, it would be one thing if they went with the pregnancy, but going with the right straight to the abortion angle sort of strikes me as also kind of uh, yeah. The fact that like it all happens in an issue. And yeah. again, I've I've not read the comic. It could be the greatest comic in the world, but right. the idea that the whole thing basically comes up is discussed and is decided in the space of an issue yeah makes it feel kind of gratuitous to me yeah although at the same time i can i can totally see me being the opposite if they'd had it run over two issues i would have been like they're just dragging this out exactly exactly like it would be easier to believe that it was gratuitous if it was something that was going to take up you know true if it was was a storyline called the decision yeah yeah, <laughs> see, Graham. The decision. We just got to get you writing. <laughs> we have to just get you writing exploitive comics. Like you can do this. You can totally <laughs> do this. Uh, do you know that? Uh, first of all, I can't even remember how we got on the topic of Buffy and the abortion. But secondly, I believe in the last forty-five minutes we've answered one question. <laughs> one question. We've got to move forward. Well, because we talked about the numbers. So yes. Do, do, do we have a, a hard stop? Like I have hard stop. We've do got a. Yeah, of an hour Wait. from now, do you think? An hour? Oh, no, no, I, got... I, I, oh yeah, actually, yeah, I probably, yeah, an hour from now. For some reason, I thought. Can it was you? Is that going to work? Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Although recording half an hour from now because I have stuff to tell you, my friend. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. Too bad, oh, listeners. Yes, I do. So yes, Holy I shit. Um, Corey from Corey open brackets Ottawa close brackets. Says fact, according to the box, Malamars are made in Canada by Kraft Foods. In Canada, these are known as dream puffs. So, yes. yes, are you worried about a trade embargo on your favorite foods unless Marvel brings back Alpha Flight? <laughs> I, he then that meant to add be... A. <laughs> yes. No. That would have been great, A. Eh? I actually thought you were then going to go, or B. Um, well, actually. <laughs> Corey, as I'm sure that you also know, uh, Malamars may be dream puffs, but I've encountered the sort of low-rent version of Malamars called Whippets uh, during my various trips to Canada. I should say that that a co-worker who was such a huge, amazing friend – do I have Whippets right? I know I've got it right. Hold on. 
because I'm always worried about the name. It always sounds weird. They are sort of, I think they are a slightly more low rent version of Malamars. But what's awesome is you can get whippets with jam in them. Uh, if people like Malamars, I totally recommend uh, picking up a copy of Whippets with the actual raspberry jam in them. They are awesome. I know we're a comics podcast, but I do believe that when you're talking about food, it's, you don't pick up a copy. <laughs> I, I guess you're right. Copy is a pick up a box, eh? Um, weirdly enough, people, you can get a pack of 12... Uh, 12 packages for $40.61 from Amazon? Hello. Tell me more. That's got to be just... That's got to be one box of 12. Why are you ordering your food from Amazon? Well, because I'm not in Canada, am I? Uh, No! This is really fascinating. Wait, how many 8-ounce boxes of Malamars can I get for $17? Hold on. I'm sorry. I've got to click through on this. Is that thanks, just Corey. Oh, Thank, thanks for I this. could I could get four boxes of Malamars for seventeen dollars and sixty well twenty bucks. Hmm, that's not such a good savings, really. They're like five dollars and forty cents. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I am worried about this. I doubt it will happen because honestly, Corey Ottawa, I think, and I could be wrong, that um, at this point, Canada would probably be willing to offer a trade embargo against Marvel if they do bring back Alpha Flight again. Like hey, Alpha pe- Flight, has people been liked, so poorly. people liked the last Alpha Flight series. Yes, which is why it got canceled in mid storyline or something, didn't it? No, it just got canceled at the end of the. It got canceled with its eighth issue, the last part of the miniseries that was originally announced that before it was upgraded to the ongoing series. Oh, I see. And then, and then basically got cancelled okay so yeah I mean admittedly that's yeah some people actually you're right people did like this most recent iteration of Alpha Flight and then but not enough so I don't know you know I, I do think I sort of feel like Canada needs some new Canadian well I think Marvel needs new superheroes frankly but um, but that's that's, that's not going to happen anytime soon exactly uh, so let's jump to Gary's next question if you could John Malkovich a comics creator slash producer slash distributor's brain for a day whose brain would you hijack and what would you do let me first say I don't think I'd ever find any reason to hijack a comic distributor's brain for a day (laughs) oh I might I might if if, 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 I really want to know the inner workings of Diamond well let's put it this way if you could make a decision that that would stick for that one day as opposed to just learning about it learning what the little secret fancies are yeah I I would I could see myself I don't know what that situation would be for Diamond right now but I would have something like that I have to say Um, I'm really interested in their digital thing uh, as soon as they said it was going to be day and date for 199 yeah, that's fascinating. I was like, game changer, and then I read everyone who wasn't part of it and was like, maybe not. Yeah. Although that being said, if 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 IDW was offering its three ninety nine books for for a dollar ninety nine on day and date and I was giving a and a copy with you know, a chunk was going to my Retail? comic bookstore for yeah. purchasing it, I would experiment the shit out of I, out of IDW books. I would buy all and I to would be fair, I think IDW has a lot of books that could really benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. So we'll see. I mean I, I yeah, I don't think it's quite a game changer yet. Um but 
but honestly, I think that I think it's a I think it's a desperate chance to have something that can compete with Comixology, and that is something that the market needs. And if it ends up changing the nature of these things, I think that could be a huge deal. That could be a huge deal. You Potential know. game changer. <laughs> Um, so, Ask yeah, Gary's I, question. Uh, for me, if I could change, a, if I could get into the head of Ike Promuter for a day and change things, I would have such a busy day. I would completely change <laughs> the nature of their trade programs so that they would have titles that would stay in print and they could start building a long tail. I would address and redress uh, customer royalty um, the, the the sorry the royalty programs for freelancers um, and I would I would get people more bathrooms and raises and push for Disney to actually acknowledge the creators at Marvel as being just as important as say the people at Disney so that they could get essentially Disney Disney deals in terms of health insurance and other things, even at a freelance level. Um, and alternately, if I was Paul Pope, I would probably look at myself naked in the mirror and then draw naked ladies all day. To be fair, that's pretty much all Paul Pope does anyway. I know, isn't it? Like, you wouldn't really even have to hijack the brain. you just hang out there. and he's Yeah, like, you just, like, Paul rest Pope. in the back and be like, so this is being Paul Pope, huh? It's kind of fucking awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. There, there is just as much hashish in this as I thought there would be. I have to say. <laughs> How about yourself? Oh, I really don't know. Um, I would be... This is, again, not so much hijacking as much as being really curious to see the internal thinking of. I'd love oh, to yeah. see the internal thinking of various Marvel and DC editorial people. Oh. Love to see how their brains work. Yeah. Um, in terms of hijacking, I'd hijack Bendis on the day he has to hand in his final Avenger script. Oh, man. And I would completely rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it'd have, it'd have to be the day that, like, he couldn't make any more changes after that, if that makes right. sense. Exactly. Like, the final dialogue pass, and I'd just be like, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in control now. <laughs> that would be great. Do you know what you would do? Would you do anything no, super specific? No, I, I have absolutely no idea what I'd do. I'd just do things to fuck him up. Hmm. Interesting. I just think it'd be funny. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, I mean, I would be curious to see how the DC stuff works. I suspect that it's even worse than I would ever imagine, kind of. But, um, you know, or ultimately, I guess I would go to somebody that's insanely super powerful and have them just sit down and start cutting checks. You know what I mean? Again, Ike Perlmuter, I would also have him, like, sit down. Considering that guy is worth several billion dollars because of his stock deal with DC, like like super fast track a portion of that fund that would be a trust that would go to the Kirby family you know yeah I, Perlmutter would be a really interesting, interesting. he's a fascinating or, or guy someone or someone who has if not Perlmutter someone between Perlmutter and you know Dan Buckley um, I'd love to see I, I can't remember where I saw Kurt Busiek say it he essentially said what he would love to see would be Marvel deciding to grandfather in the current creator package for all Marvel creators ever mm. 
Right, so that they could get like health benefits and yes, a certain yes, amount of yes. that's kind of nice. Yeah. And which I think is a really elegant solution. Yeah, I'd also well, love to see yeah. creator credits being put in to Marvel books. When someone pointed out the other day that no Marvel book has a creator credit in it, a character creator credit, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That struck like I hadn't realized, but that's completely true. Right. That's that's kind of stunning. That is kind of stunning, and it's kind of embarrassing, really. So, but that to me, that actually shows to me how freaked out Marvel is. I just feel like Marvel's really freaked out about creator credits and where those lead, you know. And they're very much to me that just reinforces the idea. The last thing they want, despite what they're willing to say in their their press conference, is acknowledge is give anything to the creators, like just at a higher up level. Like despite all the mouth movements of people like Buckley and Casada, and all the way down at the very top levels at where it counts they want to believe that that Spider-Man just appeared, you know, out of whole cloth. And that's always going to be the case. But he you know. did. <laughs> DJ Convoy <laughs> asked, asked... I'm completely cutting you off. I'm sorry. Did, what were you going to say? No, no, I wasn't. This is actually perfect. Okay. Uh, this is probably not quite as negative as typing it out cold makes it seem. That's a great start. A little compare and contrast. Now that we're nearly six months into the new 52, do you find yourself liking it, the rebooted DCU, more than what we had previously? By that, I guess I mean the post-crisis DCU. Would you have liked to have seen a more strict, more true reboot, or would you have preferred something less drastic where previous continuity was not mostly forgotten? Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Do you want to start on this? I would sense that you would have an easier off the cuff answer. I I find myself preferring the post crisis DCU, but only because it had a sense of history, and there were not really at a point where a six month line can really have a sense of history. Mm, mm, if that makes sense, right? Um, there's nothing I find particularly objectionable about any of the changes that have been made post-flashpoint because they're all fairly cosmetic changes um, but what I find sad is that essentially the universe is now down to whoever is starring in those 52 books whereas before the reboot you had all the other characters who had appeared in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books right um, and I, I just I, I feel like I miss the the ability to be like, oh, Congorilla's still out there, or whatever, if that makes sense. I, and I'll, yeah. I think I miss the sense of legacy that the Justice Society provided. The idea that mm. the characters are just the latest generation and uploaded right. tradition. I think saying everything started five years ago may work in the short term, but actually cuts right. off story potential in the long term. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Yeah, I would have to say that, that – um, have you ever had, like, astronaut ice cream? <laughs> I, I've not. Do, do I don't you know what know I'm talking that's a about? Euphemism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hey, Graham, surely you've had some good astronaut ice cream. No, 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 no. Uh, freeze-dried ice cream, like it, they, also known as astronaut ice cream. Like, no. did you ever have, like, back in the 70s or the 80s or anything like that? No. So it's as you can imagine, it is the the ice cream of astronauts. It's like freeze dried, uh, and then put in like a little aluminum package, and then sold to you know endless stomachs like me. I actually like 
freeze-dried ice cream. But A, I wouldn't like freeze-dried ice cream if I didn't first like ice cream. And B, as much as I like freeze-dried ice cream, the things that are sort of charming about it also make it a weirdly... Um, it's like it, it the, the the coolness of having something that's like so um compact and self-contained uh and 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 like what you're used to but different is all incredibly charming um on the other hand what sucks about it is that it doesn't it doesn't go well with anything you can't really put chocolate syrup on astronaut ice cream or maybe you could but it just wouldn't be appealing so for me, as much as I like the new 52 of how self-contained it is, kind of, like I like the fact that it, in a way it really suits me that I can buy Batman and and only Batman or Flash or the few titles that I want and really feel like I can ignore everything else and it doesn't matter to me in the slightest. Um, I also miss, like you said, not so much the sense of legacy, but like that the... That the post-crisis DCU was a weird, sloppy place. Like once you got used to it, there was the idea that all these different things were floating around uh, and could pop up at any time. You know, um, that being said, a I felt like the only people who were taking advantage of it were people like Jeff Johns and like James Robinson, and B, most of the time, even including Robinson and Jeff Johns, when people were bringing those weird ephemeral sideline things to the forefront, they were usually doing terrible things with it that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. So I think currently I am I, – I like the new 52 sort of – I like it as much as what was going on toward the end of moving into Flashpoint with the majority of the books and yet the thing that bums me out is I find it impossible to believe that we couldn't have had some version of Grant Morrison's action comics within the old continuity you know? well no that's just a you could there's actually yeah. nothing that required a hard reboot in any of these comics yeah exactly so for me, it's very hard. Like, honestly, I wasn't following I, – I, the few times I followed Barry Allen's Flash – I mean, Jeff Johns's Flash before the Flashpoint reboot, it's not a huge jump to go from there to what you're seeing Francis Manipole do, you know? Um, I, I definitely think one of the best things coming out of the new 52 is the fact that they apparently seem to be working harder to give art – to welcome – artists um input and although that leads to crazy shit like the whole john rosam scott mcdaniel meltdown thing which i don't think we covered in our list of depressing you know freelancer collaborator stories uh i I found unbelievably depressing i actually can see part of how it happened and i think overall the move in the dc to try and engage the artists so that they're drawing things that they enjoy is probably a good choice yeah I have to say the the John Rosam Scott McDaniel thing Mm -hmm. I I found it sad as opposed to depressing and I think more than anyone else I found it a sign of a really shitty editor oh yeah oh yeah like well that's really what I took away I was like when Scott McDaniel did his response I was like he's pretty much in agreement 
with John Rosam's version of events. It's just that John Rosam is mad at Scott McDaniel. And what it really comes down to is the editor shouldn't have put these guys together, shouldn't have dealt with the talent the way he did, and should have been much better about communicating. Yeah. I mean, it really just came down to this This was a bad combination of creators, made much worse by the creator. And then you fell over. <laughs> wow, you really did drop it. That's spectacular. I really did. It fell off my fat head, which seems impossible. So, uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? That, that, that yeah. really just it went boom, 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 boom. boom. <laughs> It's the, first, it's the first boom. I was like, oh, Jeff's trying to drink something and he's knocked the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, he really dropped it. That, that's I reached over to turn off a light and I was stretching and stretching. And then the next thing, the, the headphones twanged off my head and I grabbed the cord. But then it swung and banged against the desk like three times. Good job, Mr. Lester. Uh, I'm a podcasting professional, ladies and gentlemen. A podcasting professional. All, uh, yeah. all I basically said was that I thought it was uh, appalling editorial decisions all round. It was a bad really combination. Bad. That was really it was bad, every, wasn't it? it? Was just, yeah. yeah, but but it, I didn't... I think I came out of it feeling Scott Mc, feeling better about Scott McDaniel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think he, he... I think he came out of it seeming less of an egotist than John Rosam made him seem while also confirming enough of what John Rosam said that it made John Rosam like it it didn't contradict anything yeah 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 it didn't contradict any of the facts that John Rosam had said it just contradicted the motivation and I think that's completely fair yeah I think so too and and actually I I I, yeah I kind of walked out of that with a hmm Man, it, again, it was one of those situations where I walked out of it going, "Man, that just did not have to happen." Like seriously, this. Oh God, no, no, it, it was appallingly handled. Yeah, I mean, it was it was appallingly handled, but also those things of like, because I appreciate I appreciate the fact that Scott McDaniel actually talked about the parts where he started getting angry and started sort of passive aggressively trying to stick it to Rosam. Like, I really have to give him credit for talking about that, because that is the stuff that really normally gets left out of these stories and is so frequently at the forefront of it. Um, And the worst part is, I actually also believe him that by the time that John Rosen was like, okay, okay, give me back the control and then got it. And he didn't. He basically Rosam McDaniel was like, "You've got nothing. This is this is it. This isn't anything." And and Rosam was just like, "Well, it'll it'll be something eventually, someday." Like I, don't, yeah, I also I, don't I also quite believe that John Rosam at that point was like, "Fuck it." Right, exactly. Was so demoralized that he was like, "I just want the control back." And now I'm so demoralized, I can't think of anything. Like, I, yeah, I or I what I can think of is with the control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally felt for everyone involved in that situation. And again, I just, I have to say, like, walking around at conventions and dealing with the editors that I've dealt with at DC and to an extent Marvel, apart, I mean, apart from the few guys that I've actually, like, talked to, talked to, like, I, I spent, like, nine minutes talking to Axel Alonso. Uh, and, and a few years before that, maybe, like, seven minutes talking to Mike Carlin. They, for whatever else was going on, they at least seemed to have a weird sense of how to interact with other human beings in a way, you know, that made me feel like, okay, even though they are sort of blowing me off, 
I feel like I am being blown off in an entirely sort of appropriate kind way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whereas, like, I've had sequence, like, seriously, I, I only had maybe four minutes with the guy, but Ian Sadler just strikes me as a horrible editor. I could be completely wrong on that. His interactions with me were just like, you have no idea how to handle another human being, you know, like in, in, in any sort of respectful way. Like you can do it in a utilitarian, okay, this is what we've got to do guys kind of way. But like just interacting with them, I was like, wow, I can't even imagine not just that you deal with people day by day, but that that's part of your job description. You know, um, it kind of boggles my mind kind of boggles my mind so yeah i definitely i don't know this 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 harvey guy uh i forget his last name i know harvey richards thank you involved with the batman stuff i can see where he was going with some of his ideas but that's it my personal feeling is is that i kind of wish editorial had less like oh here's our ideas and our directions you know and more of a like here's how i deal with and massage incredibly fragile egos and things which um which is actually the best part of Bakuman Volume 9, by the way, which I've been reading this week, because it just came out. And it's kind of great, because it's all about... It's got all sorts of real... It's like the... I would love for your take on that volume, because it's the first It's the first volume of Bakuman that I've read that's like, wow, I bet the mapping of this with the American comic book industry is amazingly fascinating. I, I, I'm way behind on Bakuman, but... Um seeing you post the wait what panel today it just made me go I really want to read more Bakuman again I have to get back into that <laughs> yeah you should the last couple of the last couple of volumes have been a pip I think you're they're at the stage where you would find it really particularly in this is- issue um, because part of what you hated was well hated that you didn't like was sort of how magical their success was that this issue where they are basically everything keeps failing for them and they're not like they're doing okay but not good enough and they're conflicted if they should keep doing what they're doing was a was a stellar read it kind of wrapped up too quickly but i really had the sense of it really felt like freelancer work well or creative work the way that i'm used to experiencing it with a certain degree of like i'm not satisfied with this i have no idea if i can what to do you know essentially it's really a great read so um so we didn't quite answer all of convoys work, no, well, we, but we, we got a little did. bit what were your personal best aspects of the post-crisis dcu that were swept away well i, I think we kind of did i think yeah, we I talked think about so. what we missed um yeah. what were the things you like best about the new 52 i i don't know oh mark <laughs> um, <laughs> wait i do I, yeah, what, yeah what we like Omac the, the best. Yeah. No, but what are the things you like best about the New 52? I, uh, I think what I like best about it is what I like best about DC Comics before that. Like, because they're not significantly different comics. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I, I, again, what I like is the frozen ice cream part. I like the fact that it's modular. I like the fact that I'm currently reading, like, Batwoman, and it's a self-contained title that hasn't crossed over with anything yet. Uh, that is very artist driven like I feel like OMAC which I enjoyed tremendously was very artist driven Flash which is a book that I've tried pretty much in every iteration since Jeff Johns and Mark Wade left the title 
and I have and it has been a horrible, horrible suck out has been has been really enjoyable. The things that I think that I miss from the post crisis DCU were people like again like Jeff Johns figured out a workaround way and, and to an extent Graham Morrison too of basically saying making whatever that they thought whatever they wanted to talk about had happened and the stuff that they didn't want to talk about didn't have to be written out it could just be ignored you know what i mean like mm. they had a much give, looser approach give it time to reality. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, right. See, but I. I mean, we're, I we're think... already we're six months into it, and we have already had like our first openly contradictory thing have to be explained away. Oh right, what was that? Uh, the Martian Manhunter, who in the first issue of Stormwatch is identified as a member of the Justice League, and he's like, "Yes, I spend time with that team when I want to be a superhero," and then showed up in a couple of other books where they're like, "Who are you?" Uh, then in the sixth issue of Stormwatch, I had to be like, I was lying about being a member of the Justice League. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to like me. <laughs> yeah, much. But the best thing is, someone else goes, I've seen you with the Justice League. He doesn't volunteer the information. So it's like, not only was I lying, but you were lying too, okay? <laughs> well, you know, I, maybe he did some sort of fake out. He did some sort of fake out. Maybe you, That's were, really maybe you were mistaken. <laughs> right. Well, see, and this is the problem. Is when you start from ground really zero. High and he, right. No. Yeah, that's see, the, the, the problem is when, like, no one really has a handle on what's happened. Right. Right. Yeah, and so what happens now has to be explained, where at least I felt like DC had gotten to the stage where for the most of it, you got people who could come up with really clever explanations that didn't really hold up within the within the vast majority of the characters, but more or less felt right, you know? Like, I guess I was more permissive about the post-crisis DCU in a way that you kind of just can't be about the new 52 universe. You know? Well, you kind of can't because it's the second time they've done it. You'd think they would have learned from the mistakes of the first time. The first time you're like, holy shit, they've just got rid of 50 years of continuity. They're starting over. They're doing a piecemeal. This is a whole new world. And this time it's like, they've we've seen this before. Right. Right. You know? It's like, you know what went wrong last time. Everyone remembers Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Do not make that same mistake again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and at the time they're even like we have bibles of you know every character's history and then like they clearly don't they clearly they clearly don't yeah you know they when they're openly contra- yeah. books are openly contradicting themselves they're yeah. like you know well I guess you didn't read the bible or maybe it doesn't <laughs> exist just say actually just I like the idea that it's actually really the bible like Dan <laughs> Didio is just mistaken like I don't know I'm we've got this big know, book there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Is that We've read Genesis bad? like five times, and Omac was not involved. So, <laughs> imagine Genesis if Omac was involved, though. Dude, come on. The Omac version of the Bible would be the best thing ever. Actually, that's it. I would actually, I would, I. They wouldn't have to pay me. I would pay them to retell the Bible using all of Jack Kirby's concepts that he created at DC during that post-Marvel phase. The Demon, OMAC, um, all the one-issue specials, only, fourth only, world characters. Only if Jesus is Commandy. Jesus would be Commandy. Yeah, the New Testament would totally take place in Commandy Earth. Oh, that would be the best. Because you'd have all these characters Oh my in god, the Moses could be OMAC. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, with the with the brother <laughs> eye shining down on him. Is he? Yeah, oh yeah. The Warhawk. Oh come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be awesome. <laughs> DC, give this man a job. Call us. Call us, DC. We'll call. You won't regret it. Yeah. Well, no, dude. You seriously? That was a brilliant idea right there. The commanding New Testament is like the the best. All right. Well, uh, anyway, and, and with that, with that, dear listeners. We're, we're going to take our leave. Uh, you'll be happy to know, Jeff, that we managed to answer um, four questions. <laughs> okay, this is my thing. But in the next week, I don't think I don't think we can possibly have another ridiculous amount of comics news to talk about. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so next we're just week, gonna go in. Yeah. Next week, even if we, even if some of our answers are one word long. Yes, agree. Finish this list. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is our holy covenant that we swear on Kirby. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, obviously. We'll I'm... try our hardest, people. Be really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really honest. Yes. Okay, thank you, listeners. We will talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> I want that as my ringtone. I totally do. I totally, if I, if my ringtone just suddenly went, changer from you every time there was a call, that would be the best. I seriously may do this. I'm not even joking. <laughs> oh, God. That would be the best. Oh.